Center 11. It's 46 degrees now at DVE. I'm Val Porter. The war of words between Donald Trump and James Comey reached a fever pitch last night when the former FBI director gave an interview with ABC News. It's all part of the publicity push for his memoir, A Higher Loyalty. ABC aired an hour of that interview last night, but Comey actually sat for five hours with George Stephanopoulos. In a transcript of the full interview, Comey said Trump is a stain on all those who work with him and labeled him a serial liar who treats women like meat. And Comey thinks something that seemingly a lot of people are thinking right now. You say it's a dangerous time in our country. I think it is. And I chose those words carefully. I was worried when I chose the word dangerous first. I thought, is that an overstatement? And I don't think it is. Why not? I worry that the norms at the center of this country, we can fight as Americans about guns or taxes or immigration, and we always have. But what we have in common is a set of norms, most importantly, the truth. And if we lose that, if we lose tethering of our leaders to that truth, what are we? Comey talked about comparing President Trump to a mob boss. How strange is it for you to sit here and compare the president to a mob boss? Very strange. And I don't do it lightly. And I'm not trying to, by that, by the way, suggest that President Trump is out breaking legs and shaking down shopkeepers. But instead, what I'm talking about is that leadership culture constantly comes back to me when I think about my experience with the Trump administration. He talked about the famous meeting with President Trump in the blue room. I look, and right next to me is this blue curtain. And I'm wearing a blue suit that doesn't match perfectly, but close enough. So I'm thinking, how great is that? I got a little camouflage, and so I start moving over, and I pressed myself against the blue curtain, thinking, this is my save. This will save me from having this public embrace with the president. Well, that doesn't work. He's become more famous than me. <laughs> I remember the walk. It seemed like a thousand yards across the Oval Blue Room. And my family's had a lot of fun watching my face as I walk across because they know that's my own oh no face. Well, that's not exactly what Patrice said, is well, it? I don't want to say it on television. <laughs> she said that's Jim's own <laughs> face. And so I'm walking forward thinking I was determined there's not going to be a hug because I'm not a master of television, but I knew that would be a real problem. Our arms are tense, and he gets just far enough that I get something worse than a hug. Unfortunately, the cameras are on the left side of my face, so the whole world saw him kiss me. He didn't kiss me. He said, I really look forward to working with you. What do you think is going through his mind? I think it's about establishing dominance and making everyone part of the family. He talked about that famous dinner at the White House as well when uh, Donald Trump asked for loyalty. By the second time he came back to it, I had my wits about me and had a better answer. What was the second time? He said again, I need loyalty. And I said, you will always get honesty from me. And he paused. And then he said, honest loyalty, as if he was proposing some compromise or a deal. And I paused and said, you'll get that from me. Did you cross a line when you promised him honest loyalty? Did, would it be fair for him to think, wait, I have a deal here? Yeah, I, I don't think so. And look, it was a compromise on my part to try and avoid a really awkward conversation, get out of an awkward conversation. Was it a mistake? Yeah, I don't know. But maybe, maybe it would have been better to give a more explicit, say, sir, I can't promise you loyalty. But in the moment, frankly, it didn't occur to me, and maybe I didn't have the guts to do it. I wanted to get out of this conversation without compromising myself. But um, in hindsight, you're probably right. I probably should have done it differently. And he talked about the fact that his career is over. Weren't you angry? 
I don't remember being angry. I thought it's crazy to fire me. I'm leading the investigation of Russian influence, and particularly whether anyone in the Trump orbit had coordinated and conspired with the Russians. That makes no sense at all. Stunned by the news, Comey heads to the airport. It would be his last flight on the FBI jet. So you're in that private jet, basically alone. What did you do? I drank red wine from a paper coffee cup and just looked out at the lights of the country I love so much as we flew home. That's it, the pinnacle of your professional career. It's yep. over. Yep. Over in a flash. Uh, George Stephanopoulos asked more about the Russia investigation. Do you think the Russians have something on Donald Trump? I think it's possible. I don't know. These are more words I never thought I'd utter about a president of the United States, but it's possible. That's stunning. You can't say for certain that the president of the United States is not compromised by the Russians. Yeah, it is stunning, and I wish I wasn't saying it, but it's just, it's the truth. It always struck me and still strikes me as unlikely, and... I would have been able to say with high confidence about any other president I dealt with, but I can't. It's possible. And uh, he talked about the fitness of Donald Trump. Is Donald Trump unfit to be president? Yes, but not in the way I often hear people talk about it. I don't buy the stuff about him being mentally incompetent or early stages of dementia. He strikes me as a person of above average intelligence who's tracking conversations and knows what's going on. I don't think he's medically unfit to be president. I think he's morally unfit to be president. A person who sees moral equivalence in Charlottesville, who talks about and treats women like they're pieces of meat, who lies constantly about matters big and small and insists the American people believe it, that person's not fit to be president of the United States on moral grounds. Our president must embody respect and adhere to the values that are at the core of this country. The most important being truth. This president is not able to do that. He is morally unfit to be president. He also urged Americans to vote. I'm gonna teach, I'm gonna travel around and speak about leadership, but I wanna offer them a vision of, here's what it should look like. Values matter. This president does not reflect the values of this country. Uh, I have not looked at the president's Twitter <laughs> since that interview aired, mm-hmm. but I would guess it is on fire. I think uh, he kind of preempted it. I mean, he he kind of unleashed the uh, the tweets yesterday morning. Yeah, but you know he can't he can't resist. I'm I'm guessing he's going to be up here momentarily with the <laughs> second round. <laughs> did you least, wa- did you watch it all? No, I didn't. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it. I mean, it, wasn't it late? Wasn't it at ten o'clock? Yeah, it was on yeah, at ten. I, but I I had a gig last night, so when I got home, it was on, and I I just turned the TV on to watch it a little bit. And um, I I don't know how I feel about that guy, honestly. Like he he just seems like he takes himself a little too seriously. That's probably a, everybody in some government role. Yeah, and so I you know I don't know. I mean, anytime you're hawking a book. It's kind of like, okay, now he's going to make the rounds. He's going to be everywhere this week. Yeah. Yeah. Police in Mount Lebanon say they still don't know much about a naked man who fell 50 feet from a church roof last week. Investigators say the man is still unresponsive following surgery at Mercy. 
Police say the man was spotted running naked around the 700 block of Scrubgrass Road on Thursday evening when he climbed the side of Bower Hill Community Church and intentionally stepped off the side. Anyone with information on the man is asked to call Mount Lebanon Police. A new study says an extra glass of wine or another beer will shorten your life. Researchers at Britain's University of Cambridge say their findings show each glass of wine or pint of beer over the recommended daily limit will knock about uh, a half hour off the expected lifetime of the 40-year average 40-year-old? A half hour. I mean, come on. Just a half hour? The weekly limits uh, are roughly five standard glasses of wine or five pints of beer. One scientist involved in the study said drinking more than that raises the risk, uh, health risk for a 40-year-old as much as smoking. Uh, That study is published in the latest edition of the British medical journal, The Lancet. An employee with the Attorney General's office in Kentucky is accused of smoking pot at a drive through window during her lunch break. Police <laughs> wasn't in, a sonic, was it? Uh, I know. Uh, <laughs> police in Frankfurt say Elizabeth Justice was busted earlier this week when somebody called in to report she was smoking weed at a McDonald's. They say that she did admit to smoking pot while getting coffee on her lunch break. She was charged with DUI following a field sobriety test and allegedly had drugs with her that uh, were turned over to authorities. Justice had been working with the attorney general's office since the beginning of 2015. Like, Look, I was in line to get some nuggets and I was smoking weed. Is that a crime? <laughs> actually, uh, yeah, it is a crime. <laughs> that, that actually is a crime. Yes. At the box office, uh, The Rock back on top. Dwayne Johnson's new action flick Rampage is the weekend's number one film, taking in nearly $35 million in the U.S. and Canada. A Quiet Place made nearly $33 million over the weekend, falling from first to second. The new horror film Truth or Dare plays third, followed by Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One and Blockers. I know that that maybe me and you could be biased on this one, but I know that you also really like The Rock, and so do I. But do you think he's a better action star than like Arnold? Uh, I, I don't think I don't the movie. Know. I don't think it's a fair comparison necessarily because I don't think the movies are as good as they were, like Terminator and Commando and all those movies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I just don't feel like he's as as big as as Schwarzenegger was yeah, back I in don't... the in the early nineties and late eighties. Dollar wise, I don't know what the comparison is between the two, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, both pretty big, pretty big stars. Actor Matthew McConaughey is launching his own brand of bourbon with Wild Turkey. The actor made the announcement last week live on Facebook alongside his mom, Kay, from his hometown of Austin, Texas. McConaughey has been working as creative director for Wild Turkey since 2016 and says he did a lot of taste testing. The new bourbon is called Wild Turkey Long Branch. Black Sabbath is announcing the release of a limited edition 7-inch vinyl box set available June 8th. Supersonic Years, the 70s single box set, includes five rare single edits, including Iron Man and a total of 20 tracks across 10 7-inch vinyl discs. Each of those discs is housed in unique color picture sleeves from around the world that are either ultra-rare or exclusive just to this box set. 
Some sad news over the weekend. Actor R. Lee Ermey is dead at the age of 74. His manager announced on social media yesterday he passed away from complications of pneumonia. He was best known for his portrayal of Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in the 1987 movie Full Metal Jacket. The role landed him a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actor. His other credits include Seven, Dead Man Walking, The Boys in Company C, Mississippi Burning, and his own TV shows Lock and Load with R. Lee Ermey and mail call and the motion picture community taking to social media to pay tribute to two-time Academy Award winner director Milos Forman, the Czech filmmaker best known for the film classics One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus died Friday at the age of 86 following a brief illness. Rain going to continue today. Temperatures will fall through the day. We're going to get snow overnight. And it might, 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 might be on the ground. Might stick a little bit Come overnight. On. Not a ton, but... Uh, it's, uh, what is it now? 44 degrees. Temperature's going to fall probably about five degrees through the day. So not, a, not too bad, but, uh, it's, uh, the DVE morning show and, uh, another beauty of a goal yesterday by Sidney Crosby. In front, here's Hornquist trying to set it up. It goes around behind the net. Crosby scores. He beats goaltender Elliott and the Penguins take a one, nothing lead. Oh, hallelujah. Hollywood. Sidney Crosby with those lightning quick hands and getting into the puck and around quickly puts it off of Elliott and it's one nothing Pittsburgh. 5-1 win for the Penguins yesterday against the Philadelphia Flyers and the Flyers came out kind of flying oh, in the yeah. first period. So, Thank you, uh, Matt Murray, look, for the first period yeah, that he played. He made some great saves yesterday. Mike Pursuta's got sports at the bottom of the hour. We'll also be joined this morning by Seth Rohrbaugh from The Athletic. Joe Bartnick uh, talking about yesterday's game and Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network. It's all this morning on the DVE Morning Show. It's a DVE morning show. Another nice win for the Penguins yesterday against the Flyers. And uh, Derek Broussard uh, starting to show his prowess, I guess, in the playoffs. Big right game, point to Latang. Right side to Malkin again. Back to Latang. Gives no, the puck to Kessel with the Penguins. No stick for Reed. Penalty killer Matt Reed. And Latang shooting. Save made. Rebound in front. Broussard will get the goal as he gets the play in front and finishes the Penguin score. On the power play, Derek Broussard. <laughs> you give me back my old Cadillac. It is Derek Broussard. This uh, roller coaster series, uh, a lot of higher scoring games than I imagine, mm-hmm. but uh, a little bit of a different game than Friday night's game, which sucked. Yeah, that really sucked. Wow. I didn't see that coming. No, I don't think anybody did, but I don't think anybody expected the Flyers to just lay down and take another loss like they did on Wednesday night at PPG Paints Arena. But uh, another game Wednesday night in Philadelphia before they head back to Pittsburgh to continue the series. And uh, well, like I said earlier, Mike's got a full sports report coming up, and uh, we've got a couple of Penguins guests. We're going to hit the Penguins hard all week because it's the playoffs. It's the playoffs because it's the cup. But Pirates quietly as nobody is paying attention really too much to them another win for the pirates yesterday you know what everyone's doing with the pirates everyone's like all right look i already decided i was going to be mad at you this season and now i'm not i'm not getting on board there's a a thousand games this year talk to me at the all-star break but look they're playing great it's fun to watch them right now their bats are going crazy tyone is pitching gems nova's pitching gems it's fun to watch. So Mike's up next. It's a DVE morning show.
E Sports. I'm Mike Pursuit of Fort DVE Sports, brought to you this hour by Xfinity from Comcast. At the end of 20 minutes in South Philly yesterday afternoon, the Flyers were out shooting the Penguins 11-4, to and they were out attempting the Penguins 29-12. to But the score was 1-0 in favor of the Penguins. That was thanks in part to Sidney Crosby, but mostly that was because of Matt Murray. Here's head coach Mike Sullivan. Uh, I thought he made some big saves in the first period in particular when, you know, the Flyers come out really hard and they, and they really pushed. They played extremely well in that first period as we expected they would. And I, I thought they come out with a lot of energy and, uh, you know, we got a couple of big saves from Matt at key times, which gave us a chance to get into the game. And into the game, the Penguins got themselves eventually. They win it 5-1 to one or to reestablish in the Eastern Conference quarterfinals. Pens have home ice advantage back. They have a two games to one lead. Uh, Friday, not so much uh, the way they envisioned it going, but you have those nights every once in a while. As long as you only have them every once in a while, it's no big deal. Yeah, we were talking off air about this, Mike. They basically just, it was a, a case of missed opportunities. They just yeah. pucked in, go in the net. Dominated the game for two periods, didn't finish, uh, you know, is it Brian Elliott or is it the, the finishers? Probably half and half uh, looking at the way that game played out. And then the third period, the Penguins melted down. Uh, they succumbed to the frustration, which they shouldn't do. 2 nothing or even 3 nothing, as that became early in the third should not be perceived as an insurmountable deficit for a Penguins team with this much firepower. Um, they let the third period get away. And then really, I, I thought the first period yesterday was Philadelphia's best period of the series. Me too. And the Flyers ended that period trailing one nothing. That had to be discouraging. Sidney Crosby among those singing Matt Murray's praises afterward. Yeah, I mean they came hard. We expected that. And, uh, he had to make some some big saves and um, you know a breakaway there, especially early. So uh, that was a great job by him, uh, allowing us to settle in. And and uh, you know we ended up you know scoring the first one, which is which is important. But yeah, he definitely helped set the tone for us. Yeah, that was a stop on Nolan Patrick just a minute, 15 seconds in. Man, the roof might have come off that place if Philly grabs a one nothing lead after winning game two. But Philly did not. Uh, another great save on our buddy Scott Lawton, number 21. <laughs> uh, starting to think that him with the puck anywhere near the goal, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> no. Doesn't seem to uh, be a finisher, but uh, a big save nonetheless. Another big one on Sean Couturier late in the period, and another one on Valtteri Filppula. I'd say about four, uh, they like to call them 10-bell saves in hockey circles. Matt Murray, really good in the first period. Sidney Crosby getting the ball rolling off the turnover and transition goal that uh, the Penguins scored at 10-25 in the first. And then Derek Broussard on the power play at 2:48 of the second. The Pens were off and running. Their power play wound up 3-for-7 after a really disappointing night in Game 2. And uh, the Penguins uh, wind up scoring five again on Philadelphia. Here's Broussard. Uh, I mean, the first 10 minutes of the game, they came out pretty hard. And uh, Matt uh, saved us a few few times there to keep us in the game. After that, we had that big goal from uh, from Sid's line. Um, and after that, I think our, our, our team game was pretty good. We defended really well. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it was just a, it's a good, good effort in, in general. And now we have uh, you know, a day off tomorrow. It's going to be good to regroup and get some rest. Yeah, Broussard uh, gets one of the goals. Uh, also, uh, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Sidney Crosby, Brian Dumoulin, and Justin Schultz 
finding the net for the Penguins. Crosby tied his career playoff high with four points and was plus two. Uh, Penguins looking a lot more uh, like they had in game one. Uh, they're in control of this thing. Mm-hmm. In almost every instance against Philadelphia, they've scored at least five goals this this season. I don't see that changing anytime soon. Game four is Wednesday night in South Philadelphia. Elsewhere in the National Hockey League uh, last night, the Minnesota Wild got off the deck against Winnipeg, 6-2 Minnesota at home. Winnipeg leads that series two games to one. The Blue Jackets beat the Capitals in overtime again in Washington, this time 5-4. Columbus heads home with a two-games-to-none lead, and the Las Vegas Golden Knights are one win away from their first-ever playoff series victory. They beat the Kings in L.A. 3-2. Tonight, it is the Bruins at the Maple Leafs. Boston up two games to none. The Lightning at the Devils. Tampa Bay up two games to none. Nashville at Colorado. The Predators up two games to none. And San Jose hosting Anaheim up two games to none. Good stuff. I watched a little bit oh, of the uh, Caps yesterday and uh, watched the period of Vegas, L.A. It's hard to shut it off, but you got to go to bed at some point. Yeah, I know. I know. But it's fun to watch Flurry, man. He's been standing on his head. Uh, that was, the Kings were trying to do their physical thing and run him through the wall. And, yep. Uh, Vegas was bouncing back. Nealer had a beauty of a goal. They look good. They look good tonight. Yeah, they do. Finally starting to come around and think they might be legit, Bill, after that ridiculous regular season. I mean, after they sweep the Kings, or if they sweep the Kings. Kept waiting. Ah, oh, they're going to fall apart. They're an expansion team. Ah, oh, right. they're going to crash back to earth. Not yet. Pirates haven't done that yet either, uh, to your pre-break point. Uh, maybe get over the butthurt of the offseason and just enjoy a little quality <laughs> baseball while you can. Who cares who's playing it, right? 7-3 bucks over the Marlins. Uh, Starling Marte is third home run of the season. Yvonne Nova, six and two-thirds, six hits, three runs, all of them earned, no walks, and nine strikeouts. Uh, the Pirates are 3-0-1 and in series this year. It's incredible. And they're 11-4, and leading the uh, National League Central Division. Uh, they are back home for a, a brief three-game homestand starting tonight against Colorado. Stephen Brault gets the ball tonight. He's 2-0. and Trevor Williams gets it tomorrow. He's 3-0. And Chad Cool pitches Wednesday. He's 1-1. Now, they are benefiting a little bit from a cupcake schedule to start the season. But yeah, but not, you the, make cu- hay. not the Cubs and the Twins. Right. So and, and no, yeah, the Cubbies your, was definitely impressive. To your other point, beat who you play, right? Beat who you play. That's all you can do. Penguins aren't going to be uh, turning in their uh, victory when they eventually achieve it over Philadelphia and say, "Yeah, they weren't very good." So, I, I honestly, is there any sweeter nectar than Crosby scoring in Philly nectar. and having a great a great game? It, it it gives me more pleasure than anything else. It counts. Like twice as much to me when he does that in Philly, he is just a flyer killer, and they're booing him right at the. Oh, that place was ready. To, set. That place was ready to pop early, and it got real quiet. Yeah, eventually. Well, by the time he scored, that was like scoring three goals because Murray had stoned the Flyers and stopped at least two or three goals. Yeah, Murray was very good early, and then they once they found their game, the Penguins were very good. Mm-hmm. I think I think they had that meltdown period in Game Two. Philly had the great period yesterday in Game One or in Game Three, the first period. Other than that, I think the Pens were in control of this thing. 
And I think they are still. Well, I would agree. No, I was throwing it back to you. Like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> Oh, thanks. But, but no, I appreciate you you're chiming in on that. Seth Rohrbach coming up at 7.15 from The Athletic. We'll get his thoughts on yesterday's game and the series. Joe Bartnick calling us from New York City and Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network at 9.15. It's the DVE Morning Show. Oh. Hey, fellas. You sick of trying to avoid potholes big enough for John Fetterman to take a bat in? Then call us. I'm Tib Kabaki. And I'm his brother, Charles. But you might know Sputter as the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Pothole, Pothole Kings. Kings. Face it. Bill Podato's too busy doing a pepper grinder on Jeff Bezos. To attend to your pothole filling needs. But with the Pittsburgh Pothole Kings. You won't feel like you're driving on the moon. Even if you're in moon. That's a good one. Due to a surplus and leftovers from the Pittsburgh Super Bowl Kings promotion. Geez, who'd have thunk nobody wanted party food for Tom Brady versus Flyer fans? Oh, yeah, me. Hey, Steve Jobs didn't invent the Apple IIe by not trying to build it. Yeah, you're just like Steve Jobs. Irregardless. We got a storage bin full of leftover Super Bowl party foods. And they're really starting to stink up our warehouse. You think Bean Dip will be safe outside in the month of February? FFS. But nah. Our inventory overrun translates into smooth roads for you. 25 different dips, cheeses, pretzels, lady Doritos, and more are ready to use as a temporary and biodegradable delicious pothole patch. Forget tweeting at 311 called a Pittsburgh Pothole Kings. For low, low price of $29.99, our asphalt patch specialist. Cousin Dennis will promptly arrive at the pothole location of your choosing. That stubborn two-footer just past your driveway. Boom. Pumpernickel loaf pothole patch. Fun fact. And pumpernickel loaves are good to use as a donut if you pop it flat on a pothole not treated by the PPHK. Got a Grand Canyon-sized pothole down the street you keep forgetting about. Boom. Pulled pork patch. Smoother than driving through a mall. No time to wait for even Dennis's usually speedy service. Then buy a Pittsburgh Pothole Kings DIY kit for just $10.99. Featuring 10 pounds of rapidly turning buffalo chicken dip. Perfect for quick patches on a go. Driveway clump crumbling under the hot, cold, hot, cold Pittsburgh climate. Seal it with our Aunt Rose seven-layer dip. Basketballs will never take a bad bounce again. The rock's going to get pre-sticker come Easter time now. Oh my god, I just saw this something. What's the matter, Jack? You leave a crock pot on. Ain't there gonna be a lot of varmints out on them roads eating up our Super Bowl party pole pothole patches? Thanks. Why you think we're launching the Pittsburgh Roadkill Kings next week? Whoa, that's good thinking. <laughs> Steve Jobs. Like hand jobs. The Pittsburgh Pothole Kings. These guys love, love us. us. The DVE Morning Show. I'm Val Porter with Bill Crawford and Mike Rasuda. Randy off this week. Um, winter's back. I mean, we had a little nice uh, spring over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was really. It was like summer on Friday. We're, uh, yeah, it was in the 80s, Friday and Saturday. Beautiful. Uh, but expect to see snow on the ground when you wake up tomorrow morning. Did it make you enjoy it more? Because for me, it was like, it was like, 
um, getting a conjugal visit f- like in prison. Like I, I knew that it was going to be short lived, so I really spent the entire time outside. But it wasn't even like spring; it was summer. It was hot. Yeah, we just skipped spring altogether. Yeah, well, maybe it'll come. I mean, it is only in mid-April, so we got. It's going to thundersleet tomorrow, right? Oh, Good. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, so coming up this morning on the show, talking a lot to Penguin, Seth Rohrbaugh from The Athletic, Joe Bartnick, uh, our pal who joined us every day. Actually, he was here for almost two weeks, I think. I know. Uh, he had a residency here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so uh, He was at the game Friday night with Randy, so we'll get his thoughts on that awful game on Friday night. Yeah, not a good game to go to. And then it just, man, especially after such a uh, slaughter on Wednesday night against the Flyers oh, to yeah. come back with that turd. I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. On home ice. Yeah. Eesh. And Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network going to be joining us at 9.15 this morning. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies held, uh, or ceremony was held Saturday night in Cleveland. I'm going to have some highlights coming up this morning. We'll talk about Bon Jovi's induction coming up here in news at 7 o'clock. It's the DVE Morning Show. Central 11. It's 46 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by Golden Oak Lending. A flood warning has been issued for Allegheny, Beaver, Washington, and Westmoreland counties. That's just until 10 a.m. today after those heavy rains overnight. Meteorologists anticipating one to three inches total rainfall from the storms, prompting more landslide concerns. Residents in the city and in Glassport, Homestead, Moon Township, and Verona have seen road closures amid uh, slipping roads and landslides. And officials say they evacuated a Pitcairn apartment building over the weekend because it was unsafe. Police say 10 families have been displaced and are being helped by the Red Cross. Pittsburgh has ranked among the top 25 most successful U.S. cities for women. A new report from Smart Asset lists the 100 top cities where women are most successful. It used information from the Census Bureau's 2016 survey. It ranked each city based on topics like women with bachelor's degrees, median earnings, and percent of businesses owned by women and more. Pittsburgh listed at number 23. The top city was Arlington, Texas. We made another list. We gotta be happy about that. Make sure you quote that list. Former First Lady Barbara Bush will not seek additional medical treatment for her failing health. A Bush family spokesman said in a statement yesterday, the 92-year-old wife of former President George H.W. Bush will instead focus on comfort care. She made the decision following a series of recent hospitalizations and after consulting her family and doctor. The statement says she is surrounded by her family and thanked everyone for kind messages and prayers. The statement did not elaborate on Bush's health problems. Well, there are a lot of offenses in this office that really piss people off, but I don't know of anybody who does this. A guy named David Hingst from Australia worked for a construction company about 10 years ago. His boss's name was Greg Short, and David had a very specific problem with the boss. He farted all the time. <laughs> Did it every day. He said sometimes he'd even walk up to David desks, uh, David's desk, and it seemed like uh, to David that he was intentionally farting on him. <laughs> well, David ended up getting laid off. He filed a workers' comp suit because he said the boss was bullying him with his farting. He was seeking $1.4 million. Unfortunately for him, though, after a very long trial, the judge just dismissed the case. She ruled that even if Greg was farting right on him, it didn't necessarily amount to bullying. <laughs> he was trying so, to get fartman's comp. I don't. I don't think you can do that. Apparently, just fart away. No, we don't. We don't have anybody like that. But this also is not a uh, a construction company. Well, it's not far from it. <laughs> from with the language that. 
Well, yeah, that's that's one thing for sure. <laughs> that's that's similar, but nobody's walking no around delicate ears ripping, around here. Uh, triple flutter blasts in everybody's face, and hopefully they won't. Uh, but we've got some air freshener handy in case they do. <laughs> the worst smelling thing around here is the eggs I eat for breakfast. In the I know morning, you so. always have forty eggs every morning. <laughs> uh, speaking of eating, do you eat the same things every day? You're not alone, according to a new survey. Sixty percent of respondents said they eat the exact same thing every single day. Do you One, eat forty eggs every single day? Not every day, but pretty much. Why? Why for do breakfast. your eggs smell so farty? I don't know. Or do all eggs smell farty? And it's just like I'm walking into it. Yeah, you're not. This is not a like. It's not at home in the kitchen where you yeah. would normally smell it. It's You're walking into the studio. One-third of respondents said they are totally stuck in a rut when it comes to their diet. Why the lack of variety? Well, more than half said they just eat the same thing all the time out of habit. 46% said they like to stick with foods they know they like. Makes sense, I guess. 22% mm-hmm. said they didn't have time to try new things. And 20% admitted they eat the same thing all the time because they're picky eaters. I can't believe that we all don't weigh 400 pounds. Because think about like the, the majority of energy that your body expends is your brain takes up most of your energy. And the other you know, big energy zap is digestion. So your body is digesting things and the, the food that people bring us every morning, the things that we have to digest, how much we have to use our brain to make sure we're paying attention and we hear each other when we speak. Um, I, I just don't know how we don't fall apart and eat our feelings every day. And then. Oh, I do that. But how do you like you don't <laughs> run, though? I don't. You're an enigma. I don't know. What do you do? Like, I you, walk the dogs every okay, day. Okay, so you walk the dogs. You walk a couple miles. Yeah. I'm in an absolute nightmare loop with my diet. I just can't get it right. Like, <laughs> I work out a lot, but I eat like garbage. Well, that's what they say. It's eating is the most important part. Right. Abs are made in the kitchen. Right. But I can't, I mean, not in my kitchen. (laughs) The stars were out Saturday in Cleveland for the 33rd annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. The event kicked off with a tribute to the late Tom Petty. It also featured tributes to Soundgarden frontman Chris Cornell, along with New Jersey rockers Bon Jovi. The Hall of Fame's class of 2018 includes the Cars, Dire Straits, the Moody Blues, Nina Simone, and Sister Rosetta Tharp. John Bon Jovi asked Howard Stern to induct the band, and Stern stole the show, ripping into Hall of Fame co-founder Jan Wenner uh, for the delay mm-hmm. in selecting the band, which sold over has sold over 130 million albums. I don't know if I should let Bon Jovi in. 130 million albums. That's not such a big deal. Try to look at it this way. The average amount of sperm in one ejaculation is only 100 million. Bon Jovi beats sperm, ladies and gentlemen. And you know, speaking of sperm, the band Cream sold 35 million records. So big hit for Howard Stern there. No surprise. He uh, wowed the crowd. John Bon Jovi spoke backstage about his relationship with Jan Wenner. I spoke to Jan, and we're totally cool. I'm good with it. I'm really good with it. So he's okay. Uh, here's Stern John. did an HBO special. He, he had like 15 minutes up there. Yeah, he did a 14-minute speech. John's speech, 20 minutes. Whoa. His ex- acceptance speech, I guess it is, 20 minutes. 
Uh, here's John backstage about being inducted. I think I just have a deeper appreciation for everything. You know, after all I've been through in the last few years, to come back in the way that we did and then to be given this gift, it's not taken lightly. I'm over Bon Jovi. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm pissed at Bon Jovi. Why? I, he just seems so arrogant and full of himself. Yeah. Here's the band performing uh, on Saturday night. Okay, he sounds awful. Oh now my that's, god! That's a video. Oh, that's a crowd shot video. It's not from the board, but yeah, dude, Bon Journey sounds way better than that. <laughs> that is not good. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, I did. I, I uh, didn't know it had dropped off like that. Yeah, but they're still playing arenas. That's insane. Uh, two friends of mine are huge, huge Bon Jovi fans. They went to the the ceremony on yeah. Saturday night, and they said that, well, they did perform uh, You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer, It's My Life, but she said that Richie got out the, the double-neck guitar to do Wanted Dead or Alive, and John was like, no, and they played some new song that nobody knew. What? Is that a pricey ticket? I've always wondered that. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Man. Yeah. How can you not play that song? Yeah. Here, let's play something off the new album. Which, okay, Boo. I understand that you want to, you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you want to span your career, but nobody knows the new stuff. <laughs> right. And it's not great either. Come on. Play the hits. I'll never forget. I, maybe some of the best advice. This is so much smaller of a scale, but it applies to everyone in life, wherever you are. Billy said, like, I went up on the stage at uh, wherever he was opening the, a show at the, uh, it was like an Ikea. I don't know. I think it was a Wix furniture. It's the uh, the convention center out in Monroeville. Mm -hmm. And I did some new stuff and it didn't go well. And I was beating myself up afterwards. And he goes, he goes, who are you, Neil Young? Do you write that stuff on the car right over? <laughs> when you do the big stage, do the big jokes. When you do, when you're getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, do your biggest play the hits. hits. Yeah, I'll tell you what was super sad though. The Dire Straits thing is just really un it makes me uncomfortable and sad, and I don't know why they even showed up at all. Well, some of them didn't. Right, and then they didn't even have a somebody introducing them. Yeah, that was a or first. Or presenting them. That was a first for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They didn't have a, an inductor. They should presenter. probably, you know, think about booking somebody to speak at their funerals. Just to wrap that up now so they don't get <laughs> caught in the same type of awkward scenario. Richie Sambora and Alec John Such did join the band. Uh, they've been absent from the band for quite some time. And uh, there was an interview with Richie in Rolling Stone magazine talking about the induction and how it was to get back together with those guys. If you want to see the performances from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we'll have some of them up on the website. Just go to the morning show page at dve.com. Uh, we're going to play a tune here, and we'll be back with uh, Seth Rohrbaugh from The Atlantic. We'll talk penguins. It's the DVE morning show. It's a DVE morning show, uh, Bob Seeger, members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, we'll have more stuff from the Hall of Fame ceremony on Saturday night coming up at 8 o'clock. But, of course, we're going to talk plenty of Penguins, and I misspoke. I said Seth Rohrbaugh was from the Atlantic. He is from the Athletic. 
uh, joining us this morning. Thank, uh, thank you, Seth, for checking in this morning. Uh, this seesaw series, I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to imagine it's probably going to uh, stick one way now uh, after what we saw in Game Three. Right? You know, yeah, I know the I know the Penguins lost five to one in Game Two, but you know, and they rebounded their win five one in Game Three, but. You know, really, I didn't see much of a difference in terms of the style of play. It just, you know, the Penguins happened to get some more bounces in this game as opposed to Game Two, and the Flyers didn't get any of the bounces. So, um, really, I mean, I predicted, uh, you know, the Penguins in five, and you know, hopefully that happens just so I can look smart, I guess. But uh, <laughs> you know, like the smart writers at the at the Atlantic. Uh, but um, uh, but no, I I really just don't see this being much of a, a really difficult matchup for the Penguins. Frankly, I just. Uh, I really think the Penguins are going to cruise, cruise uh, the rest of the way in this series. Seth, if you guys want to emphasize that athletic name, maybe you should swim the Atlantic. That would be a pretty athletic <laughs> I misspoke, for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, if you're Philadelphia now, Seth, you've seen uh, Dave Haxtell stick with his goalie. You've seen, seen him stick with uh, his lineup. Uh, are there any adjustments the Flyers can make, or are they in a position where they just have to hope they can duplicate the start in Game 4 and cash in on it next time. Yeah, I think they really kind of have to hope for some lucky bounces and whatnot as they got in Game 2. Um, their goaltending depth is very, very limited. Um, you know, Michael Neuberg's the only other guy they might be able to turn to, and he hasn't played for a few weeks here due to an injury. Uh, you know, the backup, Peter Morazic, has been very inconsistent. So, you know, Brian Elliott, for all his limitations, is probably their best option right now. And on defense, I mean, you know, you, you have some guys that are kind of tweener NHL, AHL guys that uh, that would be the only ones you would really want to turn to at all. And, and really, I don't know they'd be an upgrade. So uh, as far as a lineup I, I, decisions, I'm not sure Dave Haxall has many options right now. In fact, I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for getting this very limited lineup into the playoffs. But, um, you know, maybe there's some tactical adjustments they can make. Uh, you know, they had a great start in game three. Uh, you know, you have to capitalize on some of the opportunities. They get a breakaway, and Matt Murray, you know, comes over the big save. So, um, you know, they, they weren't, you know, lacking for opportunities, at least early on in the game. Uh, they just didn't capitalize. And uh, But, you know, really, I look at that lineup, and I look at that roster, and I, I really don't see too many other options Dave Haxel can't turn to. You kind of led yourself into my question, Seth. I was going to say huge back – Huge uh, bounce-back game for Matt Murray. 26 saves isn't huge on the stat line, but I thought he stole that game in the first period. And to me, the discrepancy on the team's like, yeah, the, the stars are going to be the stars, and maybe they can, you know, some of their stars can get going. But to me, the biggest discrepancy between these two teams is in net. And I just yeah, don't know how they over overcome that. Yeah, up, up, in, up in Cranberry practice on Saturday, you know, Matt Murray just kind of matter-of-factly said, I need to be better right, in reference to game two. And, he said he needed to stop a few more, uh, you know, goals in that game, and you know he had ample opportunity to prove that hypothesis right in Game Three, at least in the first ten minutes or so. Um, he comes through that, you know, huge save on the breakaway that I mentioned. Um, you know, ends up, uh, you know, making a ton of, uh, you know, key saves, and you know, faced a lot of special teams, uh, you know, shots and whatnot too uh, throughout the contest. So, um, no, uh, Matt Murray's a, pr- he, you know, it's kind of weird to say he's 23 years old, but he's kind of an old grizzled. Grizzled veteran at these uh, playoff <laughs> games here, and uh, he kind of knows how to reset pretty quickly. Anytime he does have a loss or a setback or anything like that, and uh, as you said there, um, the, the the edge is decidedly in the Penguins' favor in terms of uh, goaltending. Are you at all uh, aware of what he was disappointed with specifically? Maybe beyond just the number of goals, I, I, the Friday night game. I thought the uh, the first one, Patrick was 
right in his lap, uh, took away his sight, and the second one went in off Latang. Was he maybe referencing the third goal early in the third period? Yeah, and maybe that Travis connecting goal where he kind of came off the wing and blew by uh, Chad Ruido. I think maybe he was referencing. He didn't really get into too many specifics as far as which goals and which goals he, you know, he should have stopped. But um, I, I think he just was maybe kind of offering a general assessment uh, that he should have been playing better. And you know he was right. I mean, he, he didn't play very sharp in that game, uh, game two uh, against Philadelphia, and it's only rebounding game three. So um, he's a guy who you know, you know, win or lose, he doesn't get too high. I mean, I know it's a really cliched thing to say, but. Uh, win or lose, he doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. He kind of just, you know, looks forward to the next next shot, the next uh, next game, the next period, whatever. And uh, really, he kind of has like a, a really level-headed status quo, uh, you know, way about going about his business, particularly in the playoffs. His quotes aren't exactly like e-card inspiration worthy, but I think it'd be pretty funny to put some of them on a on a T-shirt or something. Things like, you know, inspirational stuff like stop the puck, and uh, I just got to <laughs> stop the puck. I remember during the Stanley Cup final two years ago against San Jose, they had a media day, and they, you know people were trying to ask you know things about his personality. He says, "Yeah, mostly I just like to, you know, watch TV and eat." <laughs> and it just was it was just so like matter of so milk toast. Like, you know, yeah, he is an engaging guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think uh, clicked on the power play? Was it just as simple as shooting the puck more? Uh, yeah, and I think as Mike Sullivan even kind of said after the game, it was being you know maybe a little. Better in terms of selection of the shots, uh, you know they, they had opportunities. Uh, you know they, they maybe passed up some of those shot selections, I guess, uh, in game two. And as, as a result, they only got three shots in that game. You know, and, and here in game three, they end up getting three goals. On I, I'm not quite sure how many shots, but clearly it was an improvement. Um, and, and like I said, Mike Sullivan said, uh, you know, they weren't trying to force the, some of those passes through the, through the crease uh, and getting them broken up. They were maybe kind of working the perimeter a little bit better and. And just frankly, you're picking their spots a little better. And you know, frankly, too, when the Flyers take you know however many penalties that leads to six power play opportunities, that certainly helps uh, in terms of you know how many shots you can get off. But um, no, I think it was just a matter of shooting the puck and just being maybe a little better with when they shot the puck. Yeah, Penguins have taken a few penalties themselves. Uh, are they being a little too undisciplined? Are they a little too excited, excitable at times? Uh, what do you see them needing to do to? Cut down the trips to the penalty box. The PK's been okay, but they're testing it too often, don't you think? Yeah, for all the changes that they've tried to make under Ron Hexall with the general manager, you know, wanting to try to get away from some of those goons and, you know, tough guys and whatnot, they still have a little bit of that classic flyer DNA in them where, you know, they take that extra hack, that extra shove, you know. And in some cases, you know, some of them were just kind of undisciplined ones with, like, you know, trying to defend where you take, like, a high stick or a hook or something like that. And, um, but no, I mean, this is, you know, that's classic flyers where, you know, they, they just take penalties and figure that's you know not going to be a big deal. Well, it ended up being a pretty big deal in, in game three here. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's just a simple matter of Dave Haxall just telling the guys to, you know, quit taking penalties, but, um, you know, they, they clearly need to make some adjustments, you know, listening to some of their postgame quotes, it sounded like, you know, that it is something they're aware of. Um, but, uh. But um, you know, it's, it, we'll see if it's if it comes into practice in Game Four here. But um, no, clearly you, you take six pound, you've six power plays of the Penguins. It's just not going to work. Since February, a lot of people have been talking about the Bassard trade. Like the, you know, it was too costly. We gave up too much off the uh, the everyday roster, and by that I'm referring to the healthy scratch Bobby Orr. Um, but I think he showed yesterday in that game what he's capable of. And I was reading your article, and he feels like he has another gear to get to. 
Yeah, I mean, he was playing pretty well, I thought, actually, before he had the groin injury about two weeks left in the regular season. He had like a six-game scoring streak, was playing pretty well with Phil Kessel, and uh, then was down for two weeks. And, you know, first two games of the playoffs, he, you know, he had the one assist in game one uh, on the power play there, but um, didn't really seem to make much of an impact in those first two games. And he kind of even admitted that, you know, his skating was maybe a step or two behind uh, from all that downtime. So, um, you know, we get in a few more games here. He gets a little bit more practice time, a little bit more, uh, you know, game action here. It's, uh, you know, presumably that skating will start to, you know, to, to get up to speed. But, um, you know, you certainly saw some some impact from him in game three there. I mean, the goal ends up being a, just a beautiful goal off a little pass there and uh, being the game-winning goal and whatnot. And um, it's a guy who, throughout his history, you know, playing with the Rangers and the Senators, you know, we, we saw this quite a bit with when he would play the Penguins in the playoffs. So he's a guy who comes through and, you know, Key situations with goals. It's not just getting, you know, kind of like goals at the end of 5-1 games. He's getting goals when it's still maybe a 1-1 game right. or a 2-1 game. So um, this is a guy with a pretty good history of being a player performer, even if he doesn't have a Stanley Cup ring on his resume. Um, uh, he's a guy, when he gets up full, fully up to speed, he, he just gonna, he's just going to make this team much more deeper and much more dangerous. Seth Rohrbaugh of The Athletic, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us this morning. Always appreciate your input on the Peds. Thanks, folks. Take care. All right. We'll uh, be joined by Joe Bartnick at 8.15 and Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network at 9.15. Mike Pursuta with a full sports report next on DVE. DVE Sports. I'm Mike Pursuta for DVE Sports, brought to you this hour by Golden Oak Lending. The Penguins' power play had gone 0 for 4 in Game 2 and 1 for 8 in the first two games of their Eastern Conference quarterfinal series with the Flyers. That changed Yesterday afternoon in Game 3, as the Penguins suspected it eventually would. Here's Derek Broussard. Yeah, I mean, it's going to win you games, especially at this time of the year. And um, There's a lot of talent in this room. This this group here have been the, this, the best bar play in the entire season, the regular season. It was just a matter of time before they connect. And uh, um, Yeah, I mean, we work on it every day, and it's the same for the penalty kill. It could, it's, it's, it's huge, you know, when you kill penalties and it, it lifts it, momentum switch on the other side and when you score on the power play it's the same thing it's you know you have the momentum on your side and the next shift after that is really important and now we did a good job tonight yeah so far the team that uh, has won the special teams has won the game pens win at five to one yesterday in game three they were three for seven with the man advantage philadelphia oh for six penguins like that's that penguins had been one for four in the first game not that a seven nothing game comes down to special teams but they had been 1-for-4, and the Flyers had been 0-for-4 in Game 2. It switched. The Pens were 0-for-4, four, four, and the Flyers were 2-for-3. Now, uh, what changed for the Penguins between Game 2 and Game 3? More of a shoot-the-puck mentality was brought to the table, particularly on the back end. Here's defenseman Justin Schultz. Yeah, uh, our forwards do a good job of getting there and, and getting around the net, so as much as we can try to get the puck down there for them um, to get those rebounds, um, we're going to try to do that, especially in the power play. I thought we did a better job tonight, and um, just got to keep improving on that. Yeah, Mike Sullivan was talking about that after game two. He said he thought they passed up a lot of shots. I still thought they had ample opportunities. For sure. I didn't think the biggest problem in game two was passing up shots. I thought it was not finishing yeah not putting it in the net and you know if you want to boil game two what was going on uh, throughout that night if you want to boil that down to one snapshot uh, end of the second period penguins are on the power play phil kessel makes an extra pass to get the puck to Sidney crosby who is behind brian elliott he's he's in an angle just off the goal line 
to Elliott's left, but he has the entire net, and he tips it and misses far side. The puck just bounces along the goal line and doesn't go in. Which he rarely, if ever, misses. Crosby's exasperated at this point. He lets out a big exhale, looks up at the sky, and then breaks his stick over the cage. That kind of tells you how things Frustrating night. Go, Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't, they weren't, they didn't come out and then lollygag around after winning 7 nothing. It didn't appear that they weren't engaged or weren't prepared or weren't playing with energy and urgency. Just couldn't get anything done. Right. Couldn't get the damn thing to go in the goal. And you'll have that every once in a while. Uh, some of that is uh, a credit to Brian Elliott. Some of it's just the Penguins uh, coming up on that rare empty night. But uh, I think you saw them getting back to basics a little bit yesterday and doing what they do offensively. And uh, they hit that magic number again, five goals. Uh, they've played the Flyers seven times this season, regular season and postseason. They've gotten at least five goals in six of those games. Crazy. And they've won at least six of those games. At the other end, I thought Matt Murray was fine in game two. Um, he he did what he could uh, given the circumstances. Uh, yesterday, he took the ice trying to do what he always tries to do, which is keep it simple and do his job. Bill, get ready. This is another one of those electric Matt Murray sound bites coming Can't up. Can't wait. I just trying to stop each shot. So, uh, one at a time. <laughs> Put that on a t shirt. But you know what? I kind of want my goalie oh, to be that I, way. I love it. That's the demeanor you want in a goalie. Steady. Right, you are. And one at a time. Quotes he, are overrated. He he does not overreact to goals against, which is one of the things I think that separates him and allows him to have the success that he has had at such a young age. When it goes in, he's looking ahead, not yep. behind. What's going to happen next time? That one's in. There's not much you can do about it after it's already on the scoreboard. And, and the way that they were playing in front of him yesterday after the first period, because they, they didn't start playing well, I didn't yeah. think, and he really bailed them out. Yep, and that's that's why you have him. You don't expect or ask him to do that all game, but there are times you got to make a key save or a series of key saves, and he absolutely did that in the first period. The Penguins got outskated, uh, outperformed by Philadelphia, and they went to the locker room ahead one to nothing. Then the power play took over in the second, and they were off and running. Uh, a couple of statistical nuggets. The Penguins uh, equaled the Stanley Cup playoff record for the fastest two goals by one team. They scored five seconds apart five seconds. in that second period of getting Malkin and Brian Dumoulin. Uh, that had also been done by the Red Wings in Game 5 of the 1965 semifinals against Chicago. Norm Ullman getting both of those goals. Uh, Sidney Crosby had a goal and three assists. His career playoff totals are now 61 goals, 110 assists, and 171 points. He moves to within one point of tying Mario Lemieux for the most playoff points in franchise history. Wow. That's pretty cool. That is amazing. Because it, Sid has so much hockey left. It was uh, Crosby's 14th career postseason game with three or more points since 2005-2006. Crosby trails only Evgeny Malkin in that department. Malkin has 16 such games, Crosby 14. And then here's a pretty revealing uh, part of that stat. Third is Heinrich Zetterberg with eight, hmm. and Joe Pavelski's also tied for third with eight. So Crosby and Mal Malkin has twice as many as the closest pursuer other than Crosby, and Crosby is almost in that category. Pens and Flyers will uh, get together again Wednesday night. 
in South Philly game four. Another person who's just business as usual, Sidney Crosby. I mean, they booed him. Crosby sucked chance as soon as the game started. Before the they game they put his picture on urinals, and they asked him about it. They go, hey, you know, they uh, they put your picture on the urinals, so everybody's uh, relieving themselves on, on, on you. And he goes, yeah, they're not the first team that done that. I think they might have stole that from somebody. I think Columbus. <laughs> I, know, I mean, it's unbelievable. I was in Columbus, I think, in February, and they had uh, a Penguins logo in the urinals in the one bar, and it said uh, there was a little sign on top that said Crosby's Lunchbox. I mean, he is permanently in their head. Yeah. I think, you know, if people have been watching him for any length of time, I think he's one of those guys you would just kind of leave him alone, don't Why would you poke irritate. the bear? Yeah. I mean, you can sit there in your head. No, I hate that guy. I hope you, you know, but don't, don't get involved. Don't. Uh... You'll only make him mad. Yeah, and, then, and, and when then he gets s- mad, he has a four-point so. game in your building. Uh, the Wild beat the Jets six to two last night in Minnesota. That's still a two to one lead for Winnipeg. Columbus won a second overtime game in D.C. against the Capitals. The Jackets are heading home. With the two games to none lead after a five to four overtime win last night, <laughs> the Capitals must be thinking, "Not again! Ugh. We're gonna get blown out." This of the isn't playoffs. even the second round yet. What are we doing? Yeah, they went back to uh, Braden Holpe for the third period. They were up two nothing and three to one yesterday. By the end of the second period, it was four three Jackets, and they switched to Holpe and played a great third period. Uh, got a power play goal to tie it and almost won it, but did not. And uh, uphill climb for. Washington. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights are up three games to none on the Kings after a 3-2 win in L.A. last night. bunch more games uh, on tap tonight. Uh, Vegas, by the way, becomes the third team in NHL history to win each of its first three playoff games and the only team to do so in its inaugural season. Uh, the other two teams to win their first three playoff games in franchise history – Florida did it in 1996, went 3-0 in its first three, and your 1970 Pittsburgh Penguins oh, wow. went 4-0. Uh, the Pens made the playoffs for the first time in their third season, and they swept those pesky Oakland Seals <laughs> four games to none. That Might say they clubbed the Seals. Wish I'd have thought of that. Uh, I mentioned all the action tonight. Uh, Boston at Toronto, Tampa at New Jersey, Nashville at Colorado, and Anaheim at San Jose. Buccos did it again yesterday, 7-3 to over the Marlins. They take two of three in Florida over the weekend. They've won two road series. No, they've won three road series because they started in yep. Detroit, right? And uh, the tie uh, series at home against... Minnesota, 11-4 and four on the season. That's good enough to lead the NL Central Division by two and a half games. Uh, the Bucks are home for three at the outset of this week against Colorado. Stephen Brault, Trevor Williams, and Chad Cool lined up to do the pitching for the Pirates. And uh, more good news over the weekend as it relates to Ryan Shazier. I don't know if you guys saw the highlights of the Ohio State spring game. But, I did. Uh, Ryan Shazier was an honorary captain, and he was standing on the field. Acknowledging quite a while, the seemed. crowd. Uh, Marty Smith of ESPN uh, interviewed Chazier, who told Smith, quote, Every day I'm getting a lot better and I'm able to move around more. I'm doing a thousand times better than I was in December. 
So good for him. I love Ryan Shazier so much that I forgot how much I hated Ohio State watching those clips. Yeah, I have not. Forgotten. <laughs> that second thing. Yeah. Oh, I know. It runs deep. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we'll talk to Joe Bartnick at 8.15 this morning. He went to Friday night's awful Penguins game with Randy, <laughs> so we'll get his report on that and see his, what his thoughts are about uh, yesterday's game. Top of the hour, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies were held on Saturday night. We'll talk about the cars, hear a little bit from their induction. It's a DVE morning show. You grew up in Brooklyn, and <laughs> yeah. like you know, the 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 real America of immigrants is yeah. you know right right there. Sure. And Colin Quinn had that brilliant special about number one New York, yeah. and, and really what made it great, and how it's like you know it's not harmonious, but it no. it isn't uh, completely you know people, forced harmony. Yeah, you have to get along. It's at some level because of the clo- yeah close proximity, and like yeah. that's the thing. Like I feel like. That that was like the old New York though. Like I don't know if it's happening in Pittsburgh. I, I don't know. Gentrification it, is it happening oh. all over? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like you know what it is. Like to be honest, like it's all cool. Like all that stuff is cool, but I just feel like people get out of control now because you can't hit anybody anymore. Like I'm from a point where like I would get hit. You know, my friends would. I've, I've been punched a lot in my life, so like I stay. <laughs> I have. You know, I can be cordial. I can be respectful. Right. Like I understand because I'm like I don't want to get hit. It's just like a thing. But now people don't get hit, and so like guys just do whatever they want. Like I saw a guy. Like when I was, I saw a guy uh, in New York going to work. He was on a scooter, like an actual scooter, like a one, like a child's. Razor scooter, scooter yeah. Razor scooter. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're like, you have a wife and children. Like, do you think your wife's not cheating on you? Like, <laughs> you know, like, I, just, I was like, I wanted to be like, dude, like, I just want to punch you, snap you back into reality. Be like, just get on the train, get on the bus, get in your car. Like, stop. You're going through this midlife crisis, but... You know, you I, can I, be one up. Like she was probably cheating on him, but with somebody who had a Vespa. Yeah, like that. Exactly. Like that dude has more yeah, clout than you. Yeah, I know, dude. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's changed. It's New York's changed a lot, but it's still. You know, I feel like there's still like that grittiness, which I'm sure is here still. Uh, well, everybody, everybody likes to just you know uh, claim. It seems to me that most of the people that can do the complaining about New York are people that moved there five years ago. But, yeah, they have no idea. Yeah. But there is a you know a Disneyification that happened in certain parts you know. Sure. But is Times Square better? You know because you won't go and get stabbed and there aren't hookers everywhere. Is it nicer to have that kind of uh, Times Square? Yeah, it was part of the fun. You know, yeah. you don't know. You know, it was part of the fun. Like, Let me get my hepatitis shot. I'm going to Times Square <laughs> just in case. You know, it's true love. It's 45 degrees at DVE. The news is brought to us by BobbyRayHall.com. Lawyers for President Trump's personal attorney Michael Cohen are headed back to court. They've been ordered to hand over Cohen's client list today. Once the information has been turned over, the judge will decide whether materials seized by the FBI from Cohen's home, office, and hotel room warrant being protected by attorney-client privilege. And the lawyer for porn star Stormy Daniels strongly believes that within the next 90 days, an indictment will be unsealed against Cohen for a host of serious offenses. On CNN's State of the Union, Michael Avenatti says Cohen is radioactive and the investigation won't end well. Avenatti believes this is going to be a significant domino effect as Cohen would be indicted for bank and wire fraud along with campaign finance violations. (laughs) According to Avenatti, Daniels will be Stormy Daniels will be in court this afternoon in New York. Giant Eagle is recalling several items prepared with romaine lettuce they fear could be connected to the latest E. coli outbreak we talked about last week. Officials say they're 
There have been no reports of illnesses among Giant Eagle's customers, but they are voluntarily recalling the items out of an abundance of caution. The list of items potentially affected can be found on Giant Eagle's website. Do you ever think that there's like the, the fast food lobby is is spreading this E. coli so people just stop eating salad? Because anytime I ever heard anything about like romaine lettuce having, I, I swear to God, I go on a salad drought for like months. Oh, yeah. I stop eating healthy. I just, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, they're behind this. I can't prove it yet. If the healthy food isn't good for you, what are you supposed to eat? The for garbage. Out loud. Uh, felony charges are being filed against a Wisconsin TV reporter after a fight with another member of the media during a baseball game at Miller Park in Milwaukee. A.J. Bayapur of Fox 6 made his first court appearance last Wednesday on accusations. He punched WTMJ-TV reporter Ben Jordan in the face several times during a Brewers game. That's the argument cool. was sparked over another reporter's work and left Jordan with significant injuries. Bayapur has been taken off the air by Fox 6. Why are overturned tractor trailers so entertaining when the load they are carrying is something goofy? Well, the driver of a manure truck in Washington state had a bad day last Thursday. He was driving through a roundabout and the truck's trailer became dislodged and overturned, dumping its load of manure all over the road. Washington State Police alerted local residents about the disaster in a tweet that read, Manure truck uh, truck dumped doo-doo on Marvin and Pacific in the roundabout. <laughs> All South I-5 lanes blocked at this st- time. Can't make this stuff up. Biff was really upset. A dump truck was dispatched to scoop up the mess. Fortunately, there were no injuries, although the driver appeared a little rattled and maybe embarrassed. John Cena and his fiancée, Nikki Bella, are pulling the plug on their relationship. The two said in a joint statement on Bella's Twitter account they have chosen to split. The news comes less than a month before their wedding date. Cena and Bella have been together six years and got engaged last year during a televised couples wrestling match. I think when you're as big as he is right now, it's probably impossible to have a relationship. Because you're such a big star. Every single day there's... A whole laundry list of appearances that you got to do. Your 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 career is your significant other at yeah, that point. Pretty much. Stevie Ray Vaughan's 1951 Fender he used on his first studio recordings brought $250,000 at a recent auction. The winning bidder didn't want to be identified. That guitar was a gift from his brother Jimmy in the late 60s, and according to the Associated Press, it's a guitar he basically learned how to play on. He traded it in 1971 and in later years said in interviews he really would have liked to have it back. Def Leppard frontman Joe Elliott is giving serious thought to which songs he would like played at his funeral. He said he's already written in his will that the songs he's chosen include the sensational Alex Harvey Band's anthem and Mott the Hoople's All the Young Dudes and Rest in Peace. Elliot said he'd also like to add some ironic songs in hopes of making anyone who might be crying just burst out into laughter. Pour some dirt on me. <laughs> uh, the 33rd Annual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held Saturday night at the Public Auditorium in Cleveland, home to the Rock Hall and Museum. Brandon Flowers of The Killers inducted the Cars, and he mentioned the memorable use of one of the songs the Cars performed Saturday night in the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The Cars had it all, the looks, the hooks, beat romance lyrics, killer choruses, guitar solos that pissed off your parents, dazzling music videos, not to mention, not to mention, the best song 
in any movie scene that featured a girl slowly getting out of a pool and taking her top off. That's right. I'll take moving in stereo over the Star Wars theme any day of the week. <laughs> Rick Ocasek, Greg Hawks, Elliot Easton, and David Robinson were on hand to be inducted. Most of them did remember the band's late bassist, Ben Orr, who was from Cleveland. When the band first started, Ben was supposed to be the lead singer. And I was supposed to be the good-looking guy in the band. But uh, after a couple of gigs, I kind of got demoted to the songwriter. So I went with that one. But obviously it's hard not to notice that uh, Benjamin Orr is not here. He would have been elated to be here on this stage uh, in his hometown. Uh, it feels quite strange to be up here without him because uh, we miss him and love him dearly. Uh, that was Rick Ocasek. Ben Orr died of pancreatic cancer in 2000 at the age of 53. There's a clip on the morning show page at dve.com of their performance uh, at the ceremony on Saturday night, they did My Best Friend's Girl, You Might Think, Moving in Stereo, and Just What I Needed. And highlights from this year's ceremony will air on HBO May 5th at 8 o'clock. Hopefully they were better than uh, Bon Jovi. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that was bad. Uh, rain today, temperatures falling, and we're going to get snow overnight tonight. It's 44 at DVE. I'm Val Porter with uh, Bill Crawford and Mike Pursuta. Randy's off this week. Joe Barton is going to be joining us here in about six minutes. He's calling from New York City. His uh, uh, residency continues uh, in absence, <laughs> though. But Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network joining us at 9.15. It's the DVE Morning Show. It's the morning show, Motley Crew. I'm Val Porter with Bill Crawford, Mike Pursuta, and joining us live from New York City, Joe Bartnick, who held a residency here on the DVE <laughs> morning show for uh, like a week and a half, and we were glad to have him. How are you, Joe? I'm doing fantastic, Val. How are you guys doing? Good, oh, good. Doing great. Uh, you went to that awful game on Friday night with Randy. That must have been just miserable to witness. It it was miserable, and Randy's seats are so good. All I wanted to do was hop the glass and just uh, beat the crap out of Claude Giroux. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about that, Joe. Um, I know you were at the game, but did, but did you think it was dirty when you saw it live? And have you seen a replay, and were you shocked that that didn't even warrant uh, a hearing of any kind? Oh, the the Latang hit. Uh, you know that was what that was like a uh, a rat Brad Marchand hit. That was kind of like well, you can explain it away if you wanted to. So you know he was going to explain it away. I, I thought there was just some fishy officiating, like on Zach Aston hit when he just kind of looked at him and blew a, blew, blew him a sweet kiss, and then they called him for a two minute board. Whereas mm. the same ref just let Sherry get annihilated in the corner. So you know. They're, they're, the refs are wishy-washy as they are in every series, every year, so you just have to deal with it. But I didn't think Giroux, I mean, you know, he would explain it away as, oh, I was trying to... I think Borky said, somebody said he looked like he might have been trying to brace himself for the hit that was coming, so... Yeah, that's you know, what it was. Hockey. Yeah, that's what it was. He, he didn't He didn't stick his butt out oh, and uh, it looked like he bring was his swinging arms his arms. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get that great of a look at it. You know, I you know I didn't see it all weekend thirty times because I was traveling. But uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's hockey. I don't know what how to say it. No, that gets uh, that's a wise way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I got to give you props, Joe. Stick tap, if you will. I ran into you and Bauman Friday night after the game, and you had it together pretty well. You were understanding with a perspective rarely seen by Penguins fans 
<laughs> in times of a postseason loss? <laughs> well, you know, you have to. It was just 1-1, one, one, and certainly uh, yesterday makes you feel a lot better. But, you know, the only way they can beat us, and I think I said it uh, a few times before Game 2, was, you know, they turn, they turn it into a crap show, and our power play goes 0 for 5. Well, they turn it into a crap show, and we went 0 for 4. What happens on Sunday? Uh, the power play's clicking. They can't turn it into the crap show they want us to. And then, boom, we win the game 5-1. Joe, are you uh, all concerned about the start Philadelphia had yesterday? And do you buy the theory that, hey, if Philadelphia can duplicate that kind of start and bang one or two in in game four, then in, the Flyers could be the team that's off and run? Well, I mean, I think that's why Matt Murray has two Stanley Cups. <laughs> he makes the big save. I mean, that Nolan Patrick save was huge. Then he had another one, and then all of a sudden the Pens get their legs under them, and uh, Sid and Gino take over. I would like them to come out a little bit stronger, but, you know, basically just in their own defensive end, they're just throwing the puck around, giving the puck away early, and you can't do that. But that's why uh, in Matt Murray we trust he held up his end of the bargain, and we move, we roll on the game four. But, yes, I, I am a little concerned that we can't live like that you know, constantly by taking off the first five minutes of every game. You still in New York tonight, and are you going to the Devils game? <laughs> maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll, I'll go to the Devils game. That would be fun. But uh, how far of a drive yeah, is I, it to Philly? To Philly, well, the you train are. is. Uh, it's an easy train ride. It's about an hour. It's about an hour and a half train ride, Penn Station yeah. to uh, their little center down there, Thirty <laughs> Street. <laughs> then you get on the yeah, then you get on the Broad Street line, take it south all the way as far as you can go. Yeah, they, they they still run like the old token system in Philly. It's really ridiculous. They give you like two tokens for the price of one, but you always lose the second one. It's from the nineteen ten. How fun is it, Joe, to watch Crosby just kill the Flyers? I mean, it seems like his game goes to a different level when he plays there. And I mean the the crowd is just booing him and chanting Crosby sucks and putting his face on urinals and he just does nothing but has a four point game. <laughs> I know four points they can't. Slow down. I mean he absolutely embarrassed Claude Giroux in that face off. I mean he beat him with skill. He beat him with passion. He beat him every which way but you know every which way but loose. I mean just an incredible effort. I thought I thought the whole team played great. I, I'm loving Mata's game right now. He is just, you know, everything he wanted when you saw him as a rookie, and he had, he had his rough health concerns, and then he looks fantastic. I think Dumoulin's played amazing, and I also think Schultz is back. And you're firing the cannon on the power play. Mm-hmm. They needed that power play to click. And, I, you know, I still think I think Phil's a little banged up because he, he seems hesitant to, to fire his cannon, although he, you know, did it in Columbus uh, two weeks ago, but uh, with, with Gino firing away and Schultz firing away, that's the power play we need. So I was very happy to see that going on. What's getting your attention around the rest of the league, Joe? Well, you know, uh, f- the flower story continues to grow, and uh, he's up three nothing on on my mistress, the Kings, and the I mean, <laughs> Kings came back. <laughs> <laughs> And I just did the L.A. radio last night. Uh, people are not happy in Los Angeles, uh, as they <laughs> should be. And, and then the Ducks, I mean, Southern California hasn't won a hockey game uh, in the playoffs so far. So I, I, that, and, you know, and how about Columbus? You know, spotting the Capitals two goals every, every game, and then they are winning. So 
snatching their souls in in Washington. That I mean, taking two from them in overtime at home. Whew. Yes, in overtime in the playoffs, as you know, Bill, uh, they always think a little more. It's almost like a win and a half, or if it goes, you know, two overtimes or more, it's like two wins in one game. You know, it's yep. hard to recover m- mentally. Uh, yeah, you know, and then, you know, all, all the goaltender drama, it just makes you wonder, why didn't you just start holding in the first place? <laughs> You're going to, mm-hmm. you know, rub out group out of that fast. I think it was a tactical error. What was the crowd like Friday at the game? Was it silent? I don't remember. I was so disgusted. <laughs> I, you know, it, I mean, I didn't go. It, it I watched was, it at home, but. Yeah, it was, it, it was a good crowd. I mean, obviously they were a little down at times, but I thought the crowd was there. It was there until, uh, you know, the uh, I think four, at 4-1, I think it got a little upset. Yeah, there were actually, but, uh, uh, thought, there was a couple of unprompted by the scoreboard let's go Pens chants when they were losing 2 nothing. I thought they were staying with it through the second period. Then early in the third, people had had enough with the power play and the boost started raining down. And then mm-hmm. by middle of the third, they'd really had enough with the referees. And the uh, referees got booed pretty bad by people, some of whom were on their way out. <laughs> but, in, but in general, Mike, I mean, I thought the crowd was yeah, good crowd in general. I agree. Yeah, they, the crowd held held in there as long as uh, the crowd could be expected to. Well, that was ugly. Uh, you know, you know, one of the the sort of underrated aspects of Phil the Thrills games. I know he's a you know he's a he's a goal scorer first and foremost. But man, can he dish? I mean, last night uh, or yesterday, you, you saw him just making some tremendous passes. Oh, absolutely! That's the most underrated part of his game. Or I think the part that maybe the national media, their Canadian media, uh, doesn't pick up on. But we've seen him just putting dimes all over the place this year. You know, he's actually turned into a, almost more of a passer than a scorer, which is fine. I, I, have, I think Phil's game has been has been good. I just feel like it's times he's fighting the puck a little bit and I don't see him firing the shots that he was all season on the power play. Uh, but I, you know, I don't have a problem with his game at all. I, I actually think Sheary played a pretty good game too. I mean, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for all the consternation, if that's the word about the Broussard trade, uh, Brass has looked pretty good these last three games. Big power play goal. I mean, that was huge really a dagger. Joe, what's your expectation for Wednesday night and for the remainder of the series? Well, I picked the Pens in five, so uh, obviously that makes Wednesday a big one. Um, I think if they can just, you know, basically if the Flyers refuse to release Simmons and keep him on the third line and not put him on the power play, I don't see much resistance. I mean, Kopechny is going to get his calls, but, you know, the big lines, their big lines, their big line, and Sid, you know, like a plus five against them. (laughs) <laughs> every game. So, you know, I, I don't know why Simmons is, isn't playing. And, you know, do you really see Elliott stealing one? I, I don't. So, Not another one, yeah. You know, I think that already happened, yeah. No, yeah, I'm with you. I, I had pens in five, and I'm perfectly comfortable standing by that right now. Yeah, you know, just how about the first five minutes, we uh, we clear the puck, you know, easily and can <laughs> get up ice. <laughs> and no – Bad penalties early either. You know, don't let their power play get a chance to warm up. I thought that was the key, was our penalty kill was solid. I couldn't believe that Alexiak had the least amount of minutes on the penalty kill either. So, you know, other guys are doing it. Uh, a real team effort on the back end. Uh, just playing Sullivan hockey. You know, it's all, it's all I can say. Just very enjoyable. Just need two more wins. Two more wins. I'll be so happy. 
Last thing for you, Joe. Are you coming back to Pittsburgh, or have we seen the last of you? Well, you, 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 you'll, you'll never see the last of me. <laughs> I mean for this, this current uh, little run we've had here. Are, oh, you, no, are you coming I'm, back to hang with us this week, or, or are you taking off? Uh, if you won't hold me to it, I don't know what's going on. But I, I am on the East Coast for, for longer now. But this week I'm not quite sure. I have some things to do in uh, the Big Apple and in Boston. Well, you know, there's a game here Friday. Yes. There is a game here Friday, yeah. it's uh, You never know. Don't count me out. You never know. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you joining us this morning and uh, yeah, stuff, all the, the days you came in over the last couple of weeks. Oh, Val, you guys are the best. I love you, Mike, and Bill. Let's, let, let's get two more wins. See you Friday, Joe. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, Joe Bartnick. Brian Metzer joining us at 9.15 to talk Penguins. It's a DVE morning show. Prince. DVE Sports. I'm Mike Pursuit for DVE Sports. Uh, the Penguins 5-1 to one victory in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals against Philadelphia yesterday afternoon in South Philly. Had a different look to it. Coming off a loss in Game 2 on home ice that evened the series at a game apiece. Head coach Mike Sullivan did a little line juggling, rearranging things on the right side. It was Sidney Crosby playing with Patrick Hornquist to his right. Evgeny Malkin playing with Phil Kessel on the right wing. And Derek Broussard kind of introducing himself to his new right wing, Brian Rust. The uh, Penguins started slowly with the new look, but Matt Murray was able to hold the fort in the early going, and the Penguins were able to gradually find their legs thereafter, and they wound up coasting to that 5-1 to one win. Sullivan said afterward that uh, adjustments such as the ones he made yesterday are part of the equation some days. Um, it was more of a general shake-up a little bit. You know, it's they're not any combinations that we haven't used in the past. Um, sometimes when we just, we just tweak a little bit, we, we get a... We get a positive response from people. So, you know, um, Gino and Phil, for example, have shown an ability to uh, to play very well together. They have some chemistry that they can be dynamic when they're playing. And so, uh, we thought that might be an opportunity to reunite those two guys. Um, you know, as I always say, nothing's ever etched in stone. But we thought we would. Uh, we would, we would go with what we want with this game here. We thought the Lions played well. Yeah, he says when it's uh, when he talks about it being a, a general reorganization, I wonder how much that had to do with his dissatisfaction with Brian Rust in game two. Rust took a penalty in the third period and didn't see a ton of ice thereafter. And, uh, he winds up on the third line. I'm not a huge fan of uh, Kessel and Malkin together. I think that gets a little too cute. Sometimes I, I liked Malkin between Haglin and Hornquist, but mm-hmm. nobody's going to argue with the result yesterday, <laughs> uh, a 5-1 to one win. And the Pens got goals from three of their four forward lines, uh, albeit uh, a couple of them on the power play. But Sidney Crosby scored, Evgeny Malkin scored, and Derek Broussard scored, as well as a couple of defensemen, Brian Dumoulin and Justin Schultz. For Broussard, uh, the new look was just part of his continued uh, attempt to uh, reacquaint himself and uh, get his feet back under him and play the kind of playoff hockey he expects to play. Those two weeks that I missed before playoffs kind of hurt a little bit in the first two games. I felt uh, felt the legs were in there, but 
you know, the fact that we're playing now and I practice every day and can come back and build on something that's that's pretty good. But uh, you know, you can always try to improve your game, and I know I know it could be good, uh, especially at this time of the year. And uh, tonight we had a different look uh, with different lines and everything. So. Uh, we're just trying to kind of build on some chemistry between guys. Um, yeah, just play on the right side of the puck, trying to, trying to build your game. Sidney Crosby's goal came at even strength. He opened the scoring at 10.25 of the first period. He also uh, set up Brian Dumoulin five seconds after Malkin had scored on a power play in the second period. For Crosby and a Penguins team that had found almost nothing but frustration in Game 2, getting a relatively early goal in game three help take the pressure off you have to move on and um, when you get a couple of looks and they don't go, to, go in and you got to turn the page so it was good to get one early and um, yeah I think that uh, that always makes a big difference as far as you know being able to forget about it game four is Wednesday night in Philadelphia elsewhere last night the Minnesota beat Winnipeg six to two Jets still lead that series two games to one the Blue Jackets beat the Capitals in overtime again, 5-4. to four. This time, Columbus is up two games to none. And Although I don't know who I hate more in that series. <laughs> <laughs> and heading home, and uh, the Golden Knights beat the Kings 3-2 to two in L.A. Las Vegas up three games to none. That uh, Columbus Blue Jackets team continues to defy the odds. Uh, another uh, multi-goal deficit overcome. The Blue Jackets have done that. In four of their five all-time playoff victories, wow! each of those four games has ended with an overtime goal, including both games in the current series against the Capitals. That's the fifth time in NHL history a team has grabbed a 2-0 lead in a series despite facing a two-goal deficit in each game. Here's something to, to root for, Val. Here's why you should like what's going on in this series right now. I'm rooting for overtime and whoever's the home team to get devastated. <laughs> I want them to beat the snot out of each other. I want it to go to OT, and whoever's at home, I want them to lose. Yeah, to piss off the majority oh, of the fans. Just sat, <laughs> snatch their souls. Rip their hearts right out of their chest. There didn't appear to be many souls left uh, uh-uh. watch, watching the dumbfounded looks on the Washington <laughs> fans' faces last night. They ought to be used to it by now, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, they're probably happy that they don't have to leave their uh, their building and see a bunch of Penguins fans loaded up on the steps singing fight songs. Maybe the Jackets were doing it. I don't know. Boston at Toronto, Tampa at New Jersey, Nashville, Colorado, and Anaheim at San Jose tonight. Pirates win again 7-3. to three. Yesterday afternoon, they take 2-3 of three from the Marlins. The Bucks are 11-4 and four on the season, 2.5 up. On St. Louis in the NL Central, they've got Colorado first of three tonight at PNC Park. And last but certainly not least, a development this morning, uh, James Harrison announcing on Instagram that he is finished with the National Football League. Harrison's post reads, quote, I've missed way too much for way too long, and I'm done. Many thanks to my family, coaches, the fans, and everyone who played a role in my football life. Hashtag second and final retirement. Hashtag Harrison Family Values. Hashtag blessed and highly favored. Hashtag God's plan. He had a bunch of pictures of his kids up on Mm -hmm. the post, and he said, I've missed way too much for way too long. James Harrison, 193 career games played, 84 and a half career sacks, eight interceptions with the Steelers, 177 career games played, Seven of those interceptions and a franchise record, 80 and a half sacks, five Pro Bowls, 
two first-team AP All-Pro designations and the 2008 hmm. AP Defensive Player of the Year. He's also the author of that 100-yard pick six in Super Bowl 43. I don't think the Steelers win that game without that 100-yard pick six by James Harrison. Greatest play in Super Bowl history. Who improvised that, by the way. He was supposed to rush, and he just saw something and dropped in the coverage, and the rest <laughs> is history. I know people were upset with this guy when uh, he wound up in New England. Kind of surprised he didn't retire a Raven, you know, just mm-hmm. to maximize the devastation. And when I say people were upset with this guy, his ex-teammates with the Steelers, but one of the all-time Steelers, I think he's a Hall of Famer. And I've never – I wasn't around for Joe Green, but mm-hmm. I, I've not seen anybody with a presence like James Harrison. And a guy that got bounced around and cut. Oh, and- oh yeah. Cut so many times he needed stitches, undrafted, <laughs> small school guy from Kent State. Had to do it the hard way. and uh, I, No, gave that defense their attitude, no question. I've been doing this a long, long time, since the 80s, and James Harrison, one of the unforbe- unforgettable guys that I've ever covered. The wounds are still fresh, Mike. Give it a little time. We'll welcome them back. There should be a some sort of ceremony or acknowledgement. Oh. Do you think there will be since he no, played his last season no. with the Patriots? They might I do think, something for him at Nakama. I think eventually he'll start showing up at you know Super Bowl reunions and things of like mm-hmm. that. But I don't think they're going to have a day for him next season or anything yeah. like that. Hopefully I'm wrong, but I don't, soon, I don't think they're going to. They should. I was shocked he didn't get booed to cheer the beard. So yeah, I don't I don't know what the uh, the pulse is on the fans. Well, that's pretty close proximity for people. Yeah, you might actually have to answer for he that. He could go rampage, <laughs> right? <laughs> he can attack. <laughs> Better yeah. just to go on Twitter and, and be a keyboard tough guy. Yeah, not that I would be ever inclined to mess with James Harrison either. Ever, Let's even online. It. Yeah, In he'll ways. find where you live. <laughs> And show up at your door. Good luck to him in whatever's next. Thanks, Mike. Uh, be sure to listen for your chance to win $1,000 in workforce cash all day on DVE, beginning with us, the DVE Morning Show, all the way to the drive home with Sean. Uh, just text the keyword to 200-200. It's brought to you by rightcars.com. Brian Metzer joining us at 9.15. He's from the Penguins Radio Network. We'll talk uh, Penn's game with him and what happened yesterday and what might happen Wednesday. It's a DVE Morning Show. When you do... When you take on an acting role, that's not just, oh, I'm just going to say somebody else's words. You're you're into the craft. Yeah, but I, I stink at it. I mean, compared to like, I can do like what I would do in that situation. You know what I mean? Like, That's I, why you were great like, on Crashing, by like, the way. I mean, that was. Oh, when that I was, was playing myself. Yeah. I was incredible. Yeah. The amount of research I did. <laughs> right. No, but like. I'm, Method acting. Joe DeRosa told me one time he was watching mm-hmm. uh, this John Travolta talking about all the roles he did. And he was like, well, Vinny Barbarino walked like this. Vincent Vega walked like this. Get shorty like that. He's like, dude, he does the walks. And I never thought to do that. Anybody I've ever played walked exactly the way I walked. <laughs> yeah. And half the time I do something, they always got to write a backstory. Yeah, he, he spent four years in college in Boston to try to cover for my accent. I am like is on the opposite spectrum of Daniel Day-Lewis, like where he'll be like Abraham Lincoln. Can you imagine his wife? I think that's why we retired. His wife having to put up with him discovering that Lincoln had sort of a high-pitched voice and she has to listen to that for a year oh, yeah. as he's walking around in some stupid giant top hat. 
Hey, uh, you, you ready to go to the yeah. theater? You're going to take a little bit of time. And, and, and they, no, they have, like, arguments. And he's wearing the hat going, yeah, you like the house? You like, you like the lifestyle? This is what you got to go through. But also with, like, some 1800s vibe in there. I'm the real splitter, baby, okay? Yeah. All right? Don't call me that for nothing. Don't start bringing up old stuff. That happened four score and seven years ago. Meanwhile, that probably didn't help her with her schizophrenia or whatever she had. She was like insane. Oh God, I don't want to talk about his wife like that. I have no. I'm just making. Trust me, trashing me. You're talking about Lincoln's Lincoln's wife. Oh, I thought you meant Daniel Day Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to play her in the next movie. (laughs) Academy Award winning right there. He married him for 25 years just to do research so he could get it down. (laughs) Century 11. It's 44 degrees at DVE. I'm Val Porter. Events to commemorate the five-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing are underway. People ran a course that spelled out the city's name yesterday. About 150 people participated in the Boston run put on by the city's triathlon team. They aim to remember the three people killed and over 200 wounded when two bombs went off near the finish line of the Boston Marathon in 2013. A man is in custody after fighting with several people on a flight that had just landed in Pittsburgh over the weekend. Investigators a 53-year-old Mark Reno elbowed one passenger and injured a flight attendant as they were deplaning the flight from Punta Gorda, Florida. Uh, Reno is accused of putting his hands around the throat of a flight attendant, knocking her to the ground, and kicking her. He is in the Allegheny County Jail facing aggravated assault charges. Well, your taxes are due tomorrow, so what would you do to avoid ever having to pay taxes again? According to a WalletHub survey, 24% would get an IRS tattoo if it meant never having to pay taxes ever again. Probably on my forehead. (laughs) 37% would move to a different country. I guess you wouldn't be paying taxes. Well, then you wouldn't have to pay taxes anymore. Yeah. 22% would switch political parties. Sure. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Nope. 15% would stop talking for six months. <laughs> That'd be tough. That you'd, would, you'd yeah. That, that, I mean, if you have a job. 15% would take a vow of celibacy, and 11% would name their child taxes if it meant a tax free future. How about a, would you give up a child? And I would say maybe. <laughs> I don't know. What are we talking about? Well, then here? you'd be paying less taxes. Yeah. Right. Or more, maybe. No, I don't more, know. Yeah, because you, you, you can claim both of the kids, uh, which I do. A machine that gives people a way to kill themselves is quite a crowd pleaser. The suicide pod is on display at a funeral show in Amsterdam and drew huge crowds over the weekend. The invention by an Australian euthanasia activist and a Dutch designer is mounted on a stand with a nitrogen canister. The inventors say a person who wants to die pushes a button and the pod fills with nitrogen. They Whoa. say that causes the person to quickly pass out and die. Inventors hope to build the first fully functioning machine before the end of this year, and then they will put the design online as an open-source document people can download and 3D print their very own suicide machine. There's funeral shows in Amsterdam? I, I There probably are in the United States, too. Is that like the exact opposite of the home and garden shows that <laughs> we have here? Well, I mean, it is... I guess part of You know, of you're planning for the future. Yeah. So I imagine it is like a uh, a conference of funeral directors mm-hmm. looking at new models of caskets and urns. And so it's the, the creepiest looking people you've ever seen in your life. Getting crazy, boozing it up. Do you think that like these pods, like to me, when, when you say 
suicide pod, what I think of is like a zero gravity massage chair from Brookstone, but with <laughs> like a top. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but. Well, that's not, it's not, is it legal to kill yourself in another I, country? I don't I think don't it's legal know. here. Well, there, I mean, there are more and more states adopting the Death with Dignity Act. Yeah. So maybe they're just, like a lot of people are getting on the medical marijuana thing early. Maybe they're on this early. Mm-hmm. A survey by home improvement website Porch.com found that while millennials are great at taking pictures of their food, they're not so great at actually cooking the food. Survey found out just 5% of millennials consider themselves very good at cooking, and this might give you a hint why. They found half of millennials said they wouldn't be able to roast a chicken. Nearly 50% said they were not capable of cooking a ribeye steak to medium. 72% said they wouldn't be able to make mashed potatoes from scratch. Wow. And 80% would struggle with an over-easy egg. Which anybody I know who can't cook can cook eggs. Right. And that's... I I do over-easy. All they can cook. Oh, yeah. That's... I mean, is it their fault? Shouldn't they have been taught at some point? Now they're yeah, just well, out in the world all uh, on their own? Yeah, probably. But my dad used to say, if you can read, you can cook, which is kind of true. And now, like, especially just, you know, being somebody who owns a home and who's trying to be the person that fixes stuff and not have to call someone every time, there is YouTube videos for literally everything. Yeah. And can, there are two channels devoted, television channels devoted to nothing but cooking. Right. Like I was, uh, something happened with my dryer. I looked it up like, oh, you know, just my model. There's a video on how to fix the exact thing that happened with my dryer. Did you fix it? On YouTube. It? Yeah. Good. It was like this one little piece that I needed. And I never in a million years would have been able to troubleshoot that on my own. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, none of that stuff makes any sense to me. But it's like, do I want to call somebody in here for this? Yeah, you can learn a lot on YouTube. It's crazy. And the DIY network and all those other. See, I watch a ton of that stuff, like the DIY network, you know, the home improvement stuff. But I can't do any of that stuff. (laughs) Like, I'm not a carpenter. You can watch that stuff for days and days and days. That is a skill. That is a skilled labor. Maybe because I, I watched the Food Network a ton. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that helped me. I mean, I watched my mom cook and, you know, helped her some in the kitchen, but she never was like, oh, here's how you make a meatloaf and here's how you make a pie. And It was did just your, kind of watch. I, I don't know. Did your family have like their own cookbook, like no. a bunch of recipes that were passed down? No. Okay. We, like we my, have a bunch of, of recipes in our family. My mom, this is where my mom was at really, like she could cook a ton of stuff without using a recipe. And I'm, I'm, the only thing I could do without a recipe is tater tot casserole. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's pretty special. I'd like to try that. My mom last night, uh, my sister just got back um, from a little vacation and we had a dinner that we haven't had in a long, long time as a family. Usually, you know, back in the day, my mom, every Sunday, it was like meatballs. Mm -hmm. Meatballs, spaghetti dinner. And we had it last night. And it wasn't just meatballs. It was like all these other kinds of like sausages Mm -hmm. and and pork. Pork. And the the sauce. But I swear to God, she can make the sauce 
taste it and then just add stuff mm-hmm. to it to to get it to where she wants it to be. And then you got the Parmesan cheese and the you know the soft Italian bread that you just sop up everything that's oh you can clean your plate shine it Val <laughs> I want to le- I want to that's the one thing that I have to learn how to make spaghetti sauce. and meatballs like yeah. that sauce the sauce is what it, what makes it mm-hmm. but those meatballs too she could fry a meatball and then that was a separate meal like you could have that for lunch fried meatballs with a little shredded mozzarella and some ketchup on like a hoagie bun I've never heard of putting <laughs> Ketchup on meatballs. Really? Never heard. And who was yeah. in here last week? Was it Bartnick? Bartnick, yeah. Yeah, that was just, I don't know if that's just something we did, but man, that was a whole, that was a different, uh, just a different taste. Really good. Another rocker is cutting his career short because of physical issues. Huey Lewis is canceling all of his scheduled 2018 tour dates due to hearing loss. In a statement on his Twitter feed and Facebook over the weekend, he revealed that about two months ago he lost most of his hearing, adding, I can't hear music well enough to sing. He did promise fans he'll continue to concentrate on getting better in hopes that one day he would be able to perform again. Cheap Trick frontman Robin Zander is reporting the band is working on a new album that could be out later this year. When pressed for a possible release date for the band's next full-length studio effort, Zander said it'll be this year, but he didn't really provide any further details. And guitarist Steve Vai weighing in on the debate about whether ACDC should record a new studio album with Axl Rose. In a recent interview, Vi voiced strong support for the possible collaboration, saying it would be fantastic because ACDC can't make any mistakes. <laughs> so basically, they can do no wrong. He went on to say that Axel is an incredible singer and that he's heard he's a total pro in the studio despite his bad reputation out of the studio. Would you go see that show? I probably would. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Yeah. Are they are they going to they going to do some more dates this year? I they're supposedly working on this music. Um, Angus is going to be the only ACDC member in the band. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy. So it would be weird, but I probably would go see it. Allison Chains guitarist Jerry Cantrell is certain their band's next studio album will arrive sometime this summer as well. In a recent interview, Cantrell said the group's six studio set should be out sometime while the band is on the road between the end of April and mid-September. And Jerry Cantrell and Ann Wilson did pay tribute to fellow Seattle music icon Chris Cornell during the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. The two teamed up Saturday in Cleveland to perform a cover of Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun. The video of that is up on the morning show page at dve.com. Here's Ann Wilson talking about Chris Cornell. Chris was my friend and he was at the very heart of the Seattle music scene and beyond. I miss him, but I realized that he went as far as he could in this world with his soul. He Hmm. couldn't go any farther. Cantrell, who, like wow. Anne and Chris, is from Seattle, was only happy to participate after Anne reached out to him. Chris was a friend for uh, many years, an incredible artist, a wonderful human being, and I've always been inspired by his work ethic and talent. You know, it's obviously very sad. I still don't really know how to really discuss it personally, but at this point it's time to maybe focus on the type of man he was and the type of human being and the type of artist. Incredible depth. You know, I'm going to miss him immensely, but I also celebrate his life and his life's work. 
Cornell was 52 when he hung himself last May in a Detroit hotel. Highlights from this year's ceremony will air on HBO May 5th at 8 p.m. And we do have some of those videos up as well on the morning show page at dve.com. Several videos from Saturday night's induction. Forecast today, rain with temperatures falling through the day. We'll expect oh, some snow overnight tonight. Enough that it's going to stick to the ground a little bit uh, when you Lord. wake up tomorrow morning. So, uh Spring not officially. That's I mean, fine. it is by the calendar here, but, you know, it's that up and down time of year. Just like the series between the Penguins and the Flyers, up and down. I great like that game. segue right there. <laughs> that just pro. came right off my tongue. Uh, <laughs> great game for the Penguins on Wednesday. Not a great game on Friday, but they came back strong yesterday. Joining us now, Brian Metzer of the Penguins Radio Network. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, uh, everyone. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. So the Penguins got their mulligan game on Friday. Do you think that they were like, and, and the Flyers came out flying yesterday at the beginning of the game, but you think at the at some point the Penguins were like, all right, we had the crap game Friday, time to stop screwing around. Well, you know what? I, I thought the Flyers' performance yesterday was a, a little bit similar to what the Penguins did in game two, and, and that was come out with some pretty nice scoring opportunities right away. That's what the, the Penguins did off the opening faceoff in Game 2, but they weren't able to score. Then the Flyers came back, got the first goal, and sort of ran away with it. That's what I saw happen yesterday. The, uh, you know, the Flyers were there, all guns blazing. Matt Murray looked as locked in as he was in Game 1, and, mm-hmm. and that made a huge difference. And The Penguins uh, did a nice job of taking control of the game. And do you think um, Coach Sullivan tweaked the lines, mixed them up a little bit? you think he's going to stick with those, those combinations? Yeah, I would think so. It was kind of interesting to see him sort of stray away from what he's stuck with all along because he's been such a creature of habit with those lines. Even whenever he's broken them up, he's always gone back. So it, it was uh, cool, I guess, to see him make a couple of adjustments. And it took a little bit for it to click yesterday. But I, I do think he'll probably stick with a very similar-looking lineup as he did in Game 3 to, to the lineup in Game 4 when they move into that just because they had such great success and picked up a big win. Ron, I thought if if you missed all of game two and you only saw about five seconds of it, the the five seconds at the end of the second period when Sidney Crosby somehow couldn't convert on the power play and it broke his stick on the cage, I think that was all you needed to see. Um, yeah. I'm curious, uh, what was uh, Borky's reaction during the two minutes with the old 2-9er after the second period Friday, and can you kind of compare and contrast what it was like yesterday? Well, you know what, uh, Borky said this about Sidney Crosby in the moment. It was it was unique to see him realize the magnitude of that moment. That's really what that frustration summed up. He broke the stick because he knew if he scored, it's a 2-1 game, and it's a completely different dynamic than they had moving on into that night because 2-1's a lot easier than what ended up being 3 nothing shortly thereafter as they moved into the next period because it was really early on in that period that they let up another goal. Borky was pretty excited yesterday just based on the way that the team was uh, producing, the way that Sidney Crosby was, again, taking full control of the four-point effort. And I will say this, though, and Borky and I both sort of pointed this out during his segment and in our off-air conversation, in Game 2, for as good as Brian Elliott was and as frustrated as the Penguins were, it almost seemed as if he was reacting to shots after they hit his body. And I think they were overthinking it for one reason or another. Yesterday, they just sort of flipped back into taking some quality shots making him work for every inch out there, and they took advantage of a goaltender that they really beat up on in Game 1, and I think that's going to be the case moving forward. Maybe he broke a little bit yesterday. It's going to be tough for him to rob them again moving on in this series. Yeah, and, and that's the fine line they always have to travel, right? You, you hear Sullivan talk about this a lot. You don't want to take the stick out of the hands of 
talented players, but you don't want them to be the Globetrotters all the time. Sometimes you want them to just take the simple play as opposed to the spectacular. Yeah, Mike, I, I know you've watched a, a ton of hockey, uh, specifically this team like I have, and that's the, the price you pay with skilled players sometimes. They all want to go out and do the Globetrotter thing, and all it takes is maybe one time that they work one of these spectacular tic-tac-toe plays, and it puts that seat in their head where they say, yep, see, we can do that, and it makes them try to go out and overpass a little too often. When they dumb it down and just start putting shots on goal, uh, I think they're a much more dangerous team, specifically on their power play, because in the uh, Game 2 situation where the power play let them down, they only took three shots on goal on the power play. Yesterday they started letting it fly again. You saw Evgeny Malkin score a great one-time goal, same with Justin Schultz. I specifically love that center point one-timer that they set up with him, the way that Gino opened up space, and he, Sid, and Patrick Hornquist lured three flyers over, which left Lori Laterra right in front of the net to try and play some defense, and Schultz just lets it fly and scores a goal that really put a final nail in that coffin. Yeah, and, and would you expect, as they get ready for Game 4, they've had the positive result now, the, uh, the corrections are identified, and then it works the next time, so they're probably less likely to overthink it again in Game 4, particularly on the road, right? Well, yeah, and I think they have the confidence again, too, because that frustration we talked about in Game 2 sort of dissipated as they started putting some pucks behind Elliott into Game 3, and that usually fosters a productive power play and even just 5-on-5 play for this team. When they start scoring goals, they do it in bunches, and they've done that for games at a time, and I do expect that to continue on the road in Philadelphia because they also love to just disappoint that home crowd at every turn. I, I love it more than anything, and, and I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about Broussard. He had a huge goal yesterday, and I, I thought for the most part he's had a great series. Maybe he didn't get on the score sheet. He got the apple in uh, in game one on the Gensel goal. But uh, talk just talk about what him getting on the score sheet means for the Penguins because the, the strength of their team is really down the middle, and if he's lighting up uh, the scoreboard, it's going to be a, a pretty short series from here on out, no? Yeah, I think you're right there, Bill. I mean, when you see the way that Broussard has pretty much done anything they've asked him to do, he's played with different players, and yeah, he had his injury situation, which was disappointing because he had a six-game scoring streak right before that, but that goal yesterday looked like a vintage Broussard goal. I know it was a power play situation where he very slightly was inserted for Sidney Crosby. The rest of the number one unit pretty much stayed intact out there, and you usually don't see that happen, but he got himself into a shooting area. He's known as a shooter, specifically in these big games. And I, I kept looking at that play as a situation where if you had a lesser player than Phil Kessel having the puck before that goal was set up, he might have tried to force it to the net. Mm-hmm. Instead, he sort of lured a player to him, let, knowing that Broussard is a lethal shooter from the slot, and gave him a good shooting angle by misdirecting that pass, and he just picked the far post. I think that was a great goal for him. He drew a big penalty in Game 2 with a strength move. It was looking like it was going to be interference, but they called a hook on the play. And those are the little things he brings in playoff scenarios he started to be a better face-off guy than he was when he first got here to Pittsburgh as well. I've been impressed with his work in the dot. I think he can be a good penalty killer. I know he's not a guy that does a ton of that. Uh, Riley Shayan's been doing that a little bit more for the team. He had over seven minutes yesterday and a perfect effort for that PK. But Derek Broussard, there's a reason why he was in high demand at the trade deadline, and there's a reason that they identified him as a, a big-time piece to this team. Because not only can he do what we've seen playing third and fourth line situations, but he can slide right up the lineup and replace a Sid or a Gino if you needed him to do that, as he did on the power play yesterday. If you want to nitpick a 5-1 win on the road, <laughs> particularly coming off a loss, a potentially pivotal game in the series, uh, did they take too many penalties, specifically the Broussard one uh, below 
the Philadelphia goal line, and if getting Malkin found himself in the box again, do they need to uh, calm down a little bit that way? Uh, the simple answer is yes, <laughs> Mike. I think that's a big-time thing that they've got to clean up. They have 42 penalty minutes in this series, and that's too much. I mean, if you look at this on paper coming in, it, a lot of folks said, oh, it's a picture-perfect matchup for the Penguins. But at the same time, you have a little bit of concern because the Flyers, they love the silly stuff. They love to lure the Penguins into it. They sort of got to Patrick Hornquist a little bit last game. He has 16 penalty <laughs> yeah, minutes they, in this Yeah, game. I would say more than a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> You're being kind, Brian. He, yeah. he lost his mind. He's beating a guy on the ice when they're down three goals. It's not the time for that. No, and, and uh, it was disappointing because it was some big-time moments in the game when he, got, he went to the box. So as long as they stay away from that, have their power play be successful against the Flyers when they lure them into it, don't answer it. Keep it whistle to whistle. I know that's a cliche, but this team has got to do that against the Philadelphia Flyers. So 42 penalty minutes in three games, far too much for my liking. they got to really tighten that up, specifically in those road games. Yeah, me too. Uh, Brian, what are you seeing around the league? What's getting your attention? Uh, I, I love what's happening out in Vegas because I think the Kings are feeling pretty confident moving in. You remember the Drew Doughty quote back in December whenever the Knights beat them. and He goes, we'll be the better team by the end of the season. Well, the Kings last night looked like the better team a little bit, but Marc-Andre Fleury and company, as they've done all season, just uh, took advantage of mistakes when they needed to, and they, they're up three games to none. So that's a pretty special story. I think what's going on in Winnipeg has been fun, even though they got shelled last night, and only because some of my buddies that work for NHL Network Radio up in Toronto, all, they were almost to a man picking Toronto to go to the Stanley Cup. I love that the Bruins are getting up on the Maple Leafs right now. Yeah, isn't that Pretty much vintage, right? Yeah. Uh, that's the, the capital of homerism, no, no uh, offense <laughs> intended. Uh, but, yes, uh, I love what the Bruins are doing, too. That's a little bit fun, even though I think we'd have all been more comfortable if the Bruins could have been eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. Nah, you want to beat the best teams, don't you? Eh. I guess. <laughs> that's overrated. I want a three-peat. <laughs> I want the pasta man out of the playoffs. That guy is just terrorizing Toronto. Yeah, what a good player, huh? I mean, he's and he was a you know a later first round draft pick, and there's probably a lot of GMs kicking themselves in the backside right now. But a special player, he's uh, just got great chemistry with the guys he plays with up there, and you, you can't discount the fact that even Patrice Bergeron, he wasn't a, a first round guy either. He lasted a little too long, and he's been a mainstay and a big part of any success up in Boston. But yeah, I, I love the pasta man, very talented, and uh, let's hope we don't have to see him down the line here. If if I should say the Penguins advance because you don't want to count chickens before they're hatched, of course. <laughs> Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network. Brian, thanks so much for joining yeah, us stuff, this morning. Man. Enjoy your stuff on the games. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Like it's, hearing uh, you. A lot of fun. Yeah, it's All a right. lot of fun to be here with you. Thank you. Uh, Mike Pursuta has a full sports report. Big news. Well, big news. Maybe not from a former Stealer. Yeah, it's that's, big that's news. pretty big, big news. But not, kind uh, of maybe expected. Not stunning news, yeah. but uh, a development nonetheless. Right. So that's uh, he's got that coming up in Sports Next on DVE. DVE Sports. I'm Mike Pursuta for DVE Sports, brought to you this hour by Caseta by Lutron Smart Lighting Controls. The Penguins got it done in Game 3 in Philadelphia yesterday afternoon, beating the Flyers 5-1. to one. Pittsburgh reassumes a series lead at two games to one and reacquires... Home ice advantage as the Penguins try to navigate through the Eastern Conference quarterfinals and move on to the second round. Uh, One of the elements that led to yesterday's result was the penalty killing. The Flyers had struck for a couple of power play goals in their Game 2 victory 
on Friday night in Pittsburgh. Yesterday, that Philadelphia power play went 0 for 6. Hee <laughs> hee. Head coach Mike Sullivan <laughs> talked about that yesterday, and he said uh, the performance of the penalty killers wasn't dramatically different, even though the result was. I don't think it was it was a whole lot different. I, you know, we didn't give up the grade eight, but you know, the high quality chance to tap in backdoor goal, for example, in game two. But in the first two games, we gave up two scoring chances on our penalty kill in two games, but both of them went in the net. And so, you know, the optics make the penalty kill look bad. But when you drill down into the details of the penalty kill and, and you look at the overall process and the decisions they made and their commitment, and, you know, we felt as though they, were, they, they did a lot of really good things in the first two games. Um, so that, that's how we look at it. I think what, what we did well tonight was we didn't give, in, we didn't give them that freebie, that, that backdoor tap-in goal that, that really is indefensible from a goaltender standpoint. And, and Matt, I thought was our best penalty killer tonight, Matt Murray. He's, he made some big saves for us. Uh, and, but I think when you look at any penalty kill uh, that has success, their goaltender is usually their best killer. And uh, the Penguins' other penalty killers uh, stepped up as required, uh, particularly uh, Carl Haglund, six minutes and 16 seconds of shorthanded ice time yesterday. Riley Shane. Six minutes and 24 seconds. No, excuse me, seven minutes and six seconds. Uh, some of the defensemen who you'd expect to have uh, a heavy workload in such situations had one. Uh, Ole Mata was over five minutes. Brian Dumlin was over six minutes. Crystal Tang, uh, 5.58. And even Chad Ruedel, 5.19. Wow. Uh, so, you know, you need some of those guys who aren't uh, – Otherwise, getting a ton of ice time, right? that's their time to contribute. And they don't have to be spectacular. They just got to keep it out of the net. And uh, Pence did a nice job on that yesterday. Conversely, the uh, power play, three out of seven. And uh, that included uh, an opportunity or two late in the game when it was already decided and you didn't really need a power play goal. They did a nice job when they had to have them. Uh, yeah, one of the power plays late, Mike, they were just playing keep away. Yeah, I mean, they just were just killing time. Yeah. But uh, I think you mentioned the Broussard goal. Sidney Crosby got the first one uh, halfway through the first period yep. at even strength. And the Penguins got outplayed, I thought, appreciably in the first period, but got out of it with a one nothing lead. That was great. And then Broussard at 248, uh, the power play taking advantage. Boy, 2 nothing is a much bigger deal Huge goal. than one nothing, is it not? And then Malkin. What a swing. Malkin on a uh, power play at 6.48, and then you had the Dumoulin goal five seconds later. That thing went from uh, Flyers in control mm-hmm. but but trailing by one to, uh, you know, less than seven minutes into the second period. It's 4 nothing, And uh, special teams had a huge hand in that. So. That's what that's what teams with, a, a, you know, offensive elite talent like like the Pens have. You see the, the Lightning has it. The Bruins have it. Th- those games get out of hand. Real quick. Yeah. But they've got to be that, – that power play's got to be there. You're not going to score every time, but look at game two, and we talked about it with Brian Metzer. If Sidney Crosby scores on that power play late in the second period, do you think that's any different the way the third period plays out if he scores right at the gun? And it's, oh, two, definitely. To, no it's question. two to one and the crowd's back in it. You're going into the locker room with momentum and you're feeding off that. Instead, it's uh, as exasperated as we've seen Sidney Crosby in a long time, right? I can't mm-hmm. remember the last time he – Broke his stick in frustration during play. The game was yeah. still going on. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I, asked, I haven't seen that. In I asked a while. Madden about that. He said he's sure he had seen it before. I, I could not recall it, but 
Mark sees uh, more of this stuff than I do. Um, but all things considered, the appropriate response by the Pens. I didn't. I didn't think there was any cause for alarm after Friday night. I thought the frustra- just frustration. Frustration, very yeah. understandable. But uh, as long as you go ahead and handle your business in the next one, reestablish things. Uh, so far, so good. I had I had Pens in five. I'll stay with that. I think we've seen the one uh, Brian Elliott had a miracle game. <laughs> we, you saw think that, it, we saw that in game two. And do you think they stick with Elliott in, in net? They seem to have great belief in him. Uh, I, I think part of that is I, I don't see them as having a ton of viable options or any. Uh, they know well, he didn't play a lot of the end of the season, right? No, he didn't. He, he played about half the year, but he missed a lot of time. He got a couple games in at the end, but. That's hard to miss an extended stretch and then just play two games mm-hmm. and be uh, ready to the go. The final two and be ready. Uh, you know, he, he's he's a veteran. He's been with a couple different teams. Uh, he's not terrible, but he's not a guy that you would look at as capable of stealing a series. And I think that's what the Flyers were going to need going into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons that's the case is because the Penguins have Sidney Crosby and the Flyers do not. Uh, Crosby got the first goal yesterday, uh, three assists, a four-point game, his third career four-point game, and uh, he showed up uh, the series at 1-1 and maybe potentially ready to take a turn. Sidney Crosby wasn't going to let that happen. That's what Mike Sullivan expected from his captain. When the stakes are high, when if, if we're in a you know in a way building um, and they're important games, Sid tends to play his best, and and he's done that certainly from my experience here, time and time again. You know, I, th- I thought there was, as I said, you got to give the Flyers a lot of credit. They come out in the first period. They had a really strong start. And, uh, you know, I-, I thought Sid was a big reason that our team settled down. You know, that, that first goal he got, for example, is, a, you know, he just, he just has, a, he has an, an ability to, um, to just stay in the moment uh, he doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get phased by uh, any of the adversity or uh, anything that in, that a high stakes environment might present to other players. He just thrives on it, and and that's why he's the elite player that he is, and that's why he's as accomplished as he is. Yeah, that list of accomplishments mm-hmm. about to grow. Crosby's four points yesterday. Bumped the career total to 171. The only guy with more postseason points in Penguins franchise history, Mario Lemieux with 172. Now, Lemieux did it in 107 games. Crosby has pulled to within a point in 151 games. But uh, Sidney Crosby's going to pass Mario Lemieux. And uh... and again, yesterday, Mike, using his skates. I mean, the the kid uses every part of his body and every part of your body <laughs> to score goals and just do things that I'm like, how, how is he doing this? Yeah, and I think they both, uh, Patrick Hornquist is the guy who got him the puck. It was a turnover, and Hornquist had the puck in the slot, but he's a right-handed shot moving laterally to the left side of the ice, and he didn't really have a good angle to get a forehand off. So he's got a defenseman chasing him. He chips it over to Crosby, and Crosby able to – read the play and see that the back door was wide open and not that that's an easy play but for a guy as not skilled, at all for a guy that's as skilled as Crosby that's he's gonna score that goal a lot when when there's that much room and uh, he saw it and finished it and that was a, that was a big start for the Penguins that really uh, helped calm things down and uh, they took it from there game four 
is on Wednesday night in Philadelphia. James Harrison has announced his retirement via Instagram this morning. Uh, he posted a bunch of pictures of his kids and the message, quote, I've missed way too much for way too long, and I'm done. Many thanks to my family, coaches, the fans, and everyone who played a role in my football life. Hashtag second and final retirement. Hashtag Harrison Family Values. Hashtag blessed and highly favored. Hashtag God's plan. Uh, next stop ought to be Canton at some point. I'm not on that committee, but. Yeah, without question. Pretty I good thought, player. I thought that was a Hall of Fame career. Which first is, ballot? Nah, probably not first ballot. But uh, to me, if you're a two-time first-team All-Pro, if you're a former player of the year offensively or defensively. and uh, if, if you he, hold the franchise record on a team that's pretty uh, – Stacked historically with great players at the position. You were on three Super Bowl teams and uh, two Super Bowl wins, and the greatest playing Super Bowl history, right? That, that for, for my money, Steelers go, yeah, I, no question. Anyone, I, I don't know. It's at least in the argument, a hundred yard return, yeah, at a critical time in the yeah. game. You might remember that was uh, the Steelers were leading ten to seven late second quarter. And the cards were in position to either kick a field goal and tie it at halftime or take a 14-10 lead into the locker room. Instead, Harrison did what he did, and it was 17-7. And, uh, boy, they needed those points in a 27-23 win, did they not? They did. Jerry Dulac going to join us when we come back to talk about the career of James Harrison uh, and his retirement. It's the DVE Morning Show. It's the DVE Morning Show. I'm Val Porter with Bill Crawford and Mike Pursuta. Uh, thanks to our producer, Joe Rakicki, for running the show this week as Randy Bauman is out on vacation. News coming this morning about the retirement of former Steelers linebacker James Harrison. Joining us now, Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and also the network pregame on the Steelers radio network with Mike Pursuta and Bob Labriola. Jerry Dulac joining us now. Good morning, Jerry. Jerry D, Good what's up? Yeah, good morning, everyone. How are you, Val? It's a dreary morning, is it not? And it, chilly again. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, we're back dreary. to winter. So. Uh, thanks for joining us on uh, such short notice. Definitely wanted to get in some talk about James Harrison and his career with the Steelers and all the other teams that he played for, too. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I just sent him a text about a half hour ago trying to get in touch with him here, and I'll see if I do. But, um, you know, uh, I, I, um, I get a kick out of the uh, – a lot of well, some of the players, forget the people, the players. Uh, uh, one in particular who said, I think it was Marquise Pouncey, who said that his legacy, you know, him signing with New England, his legacy and everything that happened will will you know soil his legacy. And I I just disagree with that. I think it angered people at the time. But James Harrison is one of the all time great Steelers. He'll never be in the Hall of Fame because I don't think he didn't play long enough. Uh, but when you consider what he did for that six year period. And, and what he did in the Super Bowl and, um, you know, the, 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 the athletic plays he made, the incredible plays he made. Forget about athleticism. Um, I think James Harrison will be remembered for what he was, and that was just a tremendous player with the Steelers. A guy w- was undrafted, uh, was cut three times by the Steelers, went to the Ravens at one point, was cut by them, and then came back and did what he did. I, I just think Bengals. it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he'll be Bengals for a year or so. He'll be remembered and, and as a retired Steeler, and retired. <laughs> he already retired, Val. Yeah, Jerry. Let's revisit that Hall of Fame thing for a second. I normally don't delve into this kind of debate, but I'm wondering, just on the top of my, off the top of my head, uh, two time first team All Pro, 
five-time Pro Bowler, one-time Defensive Player of the Year, and the author of arguably the best play in Super Bowl history. Yeah, I think the greatest play in Super Bowl history. Does does that constitute an argument? Mike, it certainly does, and I'm not saying he doesn't belong. I just think because it wasn't for as long a period as probably they they would look. Um, But you could say, you know, then the argument would be, um, you know, the productive years of Gale Sayers, which was short-lived. Yeah. Even Joe mm-hmm. Namath, to, to a degree. Lynn I know Swan. he played a long time. Lynn Swan, right. They're Lynn on a big Swan. stage, right? Yeah, right. Lynn Swan's numbers are average by comparison. Now, Lynn Swan got into the Hall of Fame because, yes, he did it on a big stage, and I think they looked at Lynn Swan as a guy who changed the way the position is played with the grace and athleticism. Um but hey, look, I'm I'm not saying he doesn't belong. I'm just saying I don't think he would he would get in because it wasn't over a long enough period of time. But Mike, you absolutely you're right. When you start spewing those credentials, they, they certainly would merit a whole lot more than other guys who are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and then you throw in uh, guys who were not in the Pittsburgh market wouldn't be as aware of this as we were. But that presence was just remarkable, wasn't it? I mean, there well, there just haven't been a lot of guys that commanded the room the way James Harrison did. Well, Mike, and not only that, just uh, you know, it's, 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 to your point, maybe this sounds crazy, but that glare, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. which, which was known around mm-hmm. the league, and, and you know, being, being known as the meanest man in the NFL might not get you in the Hall of Fame, but those are the types of intangibles that frame a guy's career that help some of these guys, maybe not for being the meanest or whatever, but like I said with Lynn Swan, you know, he got in for, for you know, not because of his numbers, but, be, you know, but yes, the Super Bowl, but that's James Harrison's calling card, too, that 100-yard that interception return. But, but for what they, what they kind of represented to their position for the game, and, and, and that, would, that would include James Harrison and that uh, meanest man reputation and the greatest stare, the greatest stare mm-hmm. in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. Jerry, to your earlier point of uh, a lot of the fans being ticked off, at especially how James Harrison chose to uh, to end his year this year with the Patriots, I think one way for him to heal all wounds is for him to come here, formally retire at uh, at the sports complex on the south side, and burn all his Patriots team gear. I think that that goes a long way with the fans. What do you think? Billy, I didn't see him burn the Patriots uh, a gear, but I was there for one of those retirements at at, uh, <laughs> at uh, the uh, facility, you know. So, um, yeah, what's the franchise it, record for retirements at the facility? <laughs> I, I think I think it's one held by many. <laughs> so but he's he got could, a shot could, that he could he could do something nobody's ever done. He could break that record too, and and I really do believe that if that's what he wanted. But I, I think after kind of when I say the way it ended, it doesn't change what James feels about the franchise or or the city. But you know maybe after the way it ended, they wouldn't do it right away. But it wouldn't shock me if they did it again. And you know obviously they can have a few few funny lines with it because this would be number two. Well, um, or maybe they could just take the video of the first one and play it up <laughs> on a big screen. This and, guy- and you know. And that's all. Just kind of dub in instead of two thousand. What year was that? Fourteen. Just dub in two thousand eighteen. That's all. <laughs> this kind of g- goes with a little bit of what you just said. Uh, so many Steelers have such a great relationship with the team. They're involved in activity, like retired players. Right. They live here. They're involved in team events. 
Do you think that Harrison playing his last season as a Patriot will affect his relationship with the team going forward at all? You, you know what, Val? I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think with the team. Um, you know, because I mean, the, the team also cut him, uh, and, and you know, he and when and you know when he got cut uh, when uh, this time. You know, he told me he has no animosity toward them. That's what he wanted. Just, hey, let me go and let me go play somewhere else if you're not going to use me. But as you know, he lives here. I mean, what, what, you know, I think a perfect example. Wasn't he at Kiesel's this year, the beard mm-hmm. event? Yes, yep. he was. Right? And he'll continue to do that. And he'll, hey, he'll continue to be James Harrison to everybody. And, and those few who want to sit there and feel like, you know, he betrayed them or whatever they want to think, that'll, that'll all be gone in a short amount of time. And all they'll remember is that 100-yard interception return, knocking out the, uh, who was the quarterback Mike he played football with at Kent State, and that Joshua Cribs, you oh, know, yeah, they'll, yeah. Remember him, they'll remember him leaping over LaDainian Tomlinson on that interception return mm-hmm. against San Diego. They'll remember all those great things with uh, James yeah, Harrison. body slamming the guy in Cleveland. <laughs> I was just yeah, thinking about that. drunken fan. That's still the greatest. He's like, well, yeah. he was out on the field. He took care of it. I, I think it's we were tough... winning 40 nothing or something crazy at that point. Like, yeah. it was the game was way out of hand. Well, he wasn't really James Harrison yet then. No. Yeah. No, no. And, if, and, and one of his great games, too, if you recall, I don't know, maybe not one of his greatest games because that Baltimore game goes down as one of the greatest in Steeler history. But if you recall, it was against Cleveland in Cleveland where he got, where Joey Porter got into that pregame fight with William Green. And that's what allowed James Harrison made his first start. And remember, he had that really huge game. And that's what was kind of the start of, uh, of, of James Harrison, you know, who he became. And, um, you know, by, because of Joey Porter. And I, re- I always remember this. Bob Labriola and I did, a Monday, did the Monday night quarterback show at the bridge downtown, an old bar right across from our restaurant by the Birmingham Bridge. It's now something else. But back, so we we, uh, we had James Harrison come on the show uh, that Monday night, the following day, and this, you know, again, James was just a backup linebacker. I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. He walked into that bar t- to come do the segment, and when he walked in, the entire place stood and applauded him. <laughs> I always remember that, and that was the beginning of who James Harrison became. Jerry, do you think uh, everything I'd heard from Harrison at the end of the year was he had intended? to continue playing, did he have a change of heart, do you suspect, or was the option just not open to him? Market disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know what New England intended to do. Yes, he had indicated he might want to play another year, Um, but I I, I know this from the last couple years, you know, like with a lot of these guys, it's the off-season preparation that, that, you know, it's just so hard to maintain, and I think he maybe got to the point and thought, you know what, I just don't want to go through all of that again. He's you know, still been tweeting about that stuff. Yeah, he's still jacked and working I, out. Yeah. I know, I know. Here's hey, my hey, post-workout saying, shake, and here's what I'm doing today. And right. All. I'm not saying that was the reason. I'm just saying that's what happens with a lot of guys this time of year. They just think, oh, you know, I just don't want to keep doing this. But <laughs> Maybe in know, two yeah, months he'll change his mind. Yeah, who knows? Well, he's changed his mind before. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Maybe he'll become a strength and conditioning coach somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he, you know, he has plenty of money. I don't think he needs to coach, but hey, he might. He might. Or maybe he'll just become an old softy. Yeah, I, think uh, I don't think. A fish. I think he's going to become a fisherman. I think he. I think he might be a little bit of a recluse like Lambert. You know, go out and fish, and uh, he doesn't play golf. So I could see him fish. doing that hillbilly hand fishing where he uh, puts his Noodling. hand in a catfish hole. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
<laughs> all we right, all we know is he's going to do something that, that's challenging and crazy because that's been his whole life. So yeah, I don't think he's going to sit back and just and 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 uh, you know watch Netflix. <laughs> Jerry Dulac, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Always appreciate having you on. All right, Val. Nice chatting with y'all. Thanks also to Seth Rohrbach from The Athletic, Joe Bartnick as well, and Brian Metzer from the Penguins Radio Network joining us tomorrow. The Hall of Famer, Mike Lang, talking Penguins, and Billy Gardell joins us in the 9 o'clock hour. Mike Steele in for Michelle Michaels next. It's the DVE Morning Show. I'm finished. You stay classy, Pittsburgh. Don't touch your face. I got him dead, Pittsburgh, all day, baby. For now, you guys call me Ronald. Would you not eat my pants? Ronald. Ah! Mm-hmm.